Brought to you by the Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that's singing in the rain and happy again. I'm your unpreventable host, Sinan Kibba, and I'm running solo this week because the Right Honourable Jedalia is otherwise engaged. But in his stead, I'm lucky enough to be joined by not just one, not just two, but by three sterling regular guests and friends of the show. So, a hearty hello to Ninja Pat Pigeon's host, Santeria. Hi, Sinan. Yeah, it's great to be here again. Okay. And to writer for G4 TV, Jeffrey Matlef. Hey, Sam. So, what up? I'm <laughs> very good, Jeff. How are you doing? Um, and to the gamer scene's very own, Dits Simao. Hello. Hi, guys. So, uh, Zan, Jeffrey, Dits, and I are convening today for a very spoilerific episode. I'm going to say that again very spoilerific, lots of spoilers. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about a game we've been very excited about at Big Red Potion Towers for probably since the inception of the show. Um, that game is Heavy Rain. All four of us here have played it. We all have plenty to say about it. Uh, so what we're going to do is a post-mortem, look at the highs and lows of our games, our differing opinions on, on it, and look at the reaction that there's been to it, because there's been plenty of that. And I think we better get on with it, because there is a lot to talk about. So... Let's start by talking about uh, kind of something that, that started up quite early after the game release. Actually, I think it may have even started before the game release because some of the reviews were quite early. Talking about reviewing a game like Heavy Rain without going into spoilers. Obviously, we're doing a, a really spoilerific episode today, and that's because I felt that we couldn't really get into the heart of the game without doing it. But there has been a lot of discussion relating to spoiler-free reviews of the game, with quite a few people tweeting, posting on forums, saying that you simply can't review a game like Heavy Rain without spoilers because the story is so integral to it. Some of the counter-arguments have said that this is, you know, that the fact that the story is so integral to it makes it so important that you don't discuss it in a review because a review is related to a reader's purchase of a game and spoiling the story for them is akin to spoiling their experience of it. I really wanted to get just a quick view from, from you guys because I think it's it's something that we've touched on in, in this show before, reviews and, and who they are and what, uh, sorry, what they are and who they're aimed at. Do you guys think that a Heavy Rain review should have spoilers or that no review should have should have spoilers um let's go to jeff first but did you put spoilers in your review um you know i had a lot more spoilers in my first draft and the editor cut a lot of them out or <laughs> asked me to cut a lot of them out um but that i think was was more my own fault that i was kind of got a little ranty in my review and wanted to give a, a lot of specific examples but i think it's absolutely possible to do it a decent heavy rain review without spoilers. I mean, it's like a movie review. It's very story-based, so, you know, it's good to maybe give a little bit of uh, background in, in the core story. I mean, there's, since it's a spoiler-heavy show, we can say, you know, the beginning, the Ethan's first son dies, and, for example, that's something that some people might consider to be too big of a spoiler. And I, I think that's probably okay, because it's early enough in the game. But, yeah, I don't think you have to give away anything beyond the the 25% point as far as the story goes to talk about, you know, the highs and lows of what succeeds and fails in the game. You know, maybe one or two specific examples of things later on. It's quite interesting because this game bridges the gap and is arguably closer to a movie than it is a a game. As as Jeff was saying, you kind of have to look at how movie reviews are written. And most film reviews tend to sort of give away the first 15, 20 minutes maybe of a film. So what we're talking about there, 20%. And then we'll go on to talk about, you know, characters or cinematography or acting or, you know, um, other parts of the film. But I do think with something like this, you do have to at least lay some groundwork as to what the, 
the game is actually about because the story is such a key key part of it. Um, so I think the the problem you have with video game reviews is that people read reviews for one of two different reasons, and I'm, you've discussed this before in previous shows, either as a decision to buy or to justify a decision to buy. So in other words, they've already bought it. And um, what you then get is sensitivity from that second group of people over what they perceive to be you giving away too much. So I, I think it's the immaturity, really, of the of the video game genre that people are much more sensitive to what are perceived to be spoilers. Um, and I've read very few reviews that contained anything, really, that was a spoiler. And yet there was quite a lot of reaction, like you're, like you're saying. Um, this is uh, something one of our previous guests, actually previous guests from last show, Brad Galloway, he, he talked about it in a recent post, and he said that he tried really hard to avoid some of the spoilers, but he did encounter some of them and he felt kind of robbed a bit of the the game's impact as a result i know dits you came into the game kind of a bit later than some of us did you, you didn't pick it up straight away uh did you have any of it spoiled for you and uh if you did did it kind of spoil the game for you not really nothing was really spoiled i mean they released trailers at the start i mean and like any movie trailer they kind of show off some of the best bits and i guess that's just a way of promoting the game but as in any materials people have written and now I actually just went on a media blackout and was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read this because I know I want the game and I'm just, I just want to experience it. I mean, on the reviews front now, I think it's a fine line with every single review. I guess it's a little bit more important with heavy rain or any type of sort of mystery game because you don't want to spoil the ending. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not right. It's not fair. I think for the readers as well to like read something and then have their experience ruined by somebody maybe, writing what happens you know in the story something quite big maybe a plot twist it's you, you shouldn't have that i don't think in reviews at all i mean it's quite it's quite interesting heavy rain because i think what one of the major criticisms from you know some of the, the bloggers and uh, people who've been posting on twitter about the game is is the game's ending uh, and the twist and i find that, that that might be quite difficult to confront in a review about actually going into detail um, was that something you you felt, Jeff, that the end was a, a poor point? And if so, did you kind of have a bit of trouble conveying that in your re- review without going into detail? Well, in my case, I just mentioned that the the big twist made absolutely no sense, and the plot didn't hold it up. But I didn't have to go into any detail about that. So the answer is no. I actually avoided all the reviews and. Um all the previews and the demo and any video or anything like that before I played the game. I actively avoided any anything that would reveal to me what the game would be like or, or what it would contain, including some of the things that this was talking about, you know, the trailers. Um, so I know when we get later on into the discussion, the uh, the dismemberment, I, I didn't have a clue about that, but apparently that was given away in trailers. So in many ways, the, the publisher or the promoter in this case is, is given away major plot points um, before you've even bought the game. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, um, one of the most uh, integral scenes is that is that strip scene in uh, which they showed at E3 uh, with Madison stripping for that club owner Paco. And, I've, and uh, I remember David Cage saying that's going to be like a scene that only certain people will, will get. But I know, Jeffrey, in, in your article, you said pretty much everyone gets to see that scene. It's like a really important part of the of the story. And uh, I think, you know, Zan, you're, you're onto something. There was a lot revealed by... A lot more than you'd expect for a movie, say... Or a or a, a really story-driven movie, at least. I don't know if, uh, if you guys agree. Well, you, I don't want to sort of give things away too early, but you tend to find in movies that... Um, I think Mark Kermode often goes on about this, who's a, a 
just saying to Jeff, he's a kind of uh, guru movie reviewer in the UK. He quite he says that um, if the trailer gives away more than fifty percent of the film, then it must be a bad film. <laughs> and that's and he also uses the the metric that you know if a if a film has to be advertised on a bus, then it must be a bad film as well. So, um, and, and I think there. To, there is an element of truth for that, but whether that applies to, to video games is, is debatable. But they did, I mean, I didn't see any of it, and it was only afterwards, and everyone was saying to me, Oh, didn't you see the trailer? And didn't you see this? And didn't you see that? And I was like, No, I didn't see any of it, so I had no idea. So, interesting. Hmm. Is that more down to sort of your interest, maybe, of like the media? Because you think they are going to spoil it for me if I do read these reviews, or do you, um, think you just wanted to go on blackout? I think because I knew this was going to be, I mean, I played Fahrenheit, so I knew. I kind of knew what to expect, although, as again, we'll, we'll talk later about it, it was some things in this were a shock, but when I saw it at Eurogamer and I saw people playing it, I made my mind up then that I didn't want to know anything more about it. So um, I, I could just tell from looking at it that the, the story and the, um, the fiction in it was going to be the most important part of the game. So I thought, right, I'm just going to actively avoid reviews or anything like that until I've actually got the game and as Sinan knows because he asked me whether I was getting the game and I said to you I was 50-50 and that was because I wasn't sure whether to get it on day of release uh, and because I wanted to avoid all the you know the server one spoiling it for me and everything else right. or whether to wait until I've heard of what few people thought of it before I bought it because I, I didn't feel that I wanted to read a preview or a review which is I think more to do with the fact that it's story driven than anything else I did the same with Mass Effect, which again is another story-driven game. But you're kind of glad you actually did get it on day of release, considering what happened over the weekend of with the whole PS3 thing. <laughs> uh, well, my PS3 actually died the day before, so <laughs> uh, I, no. I survived it simply by the fact that mine mine blew up on the Saturday. So very nice. I finished a few hours before Apocalypse, as it's been dubbed, started. Um, but anyway, let, let's let's get on to actually talking about the game. Let's start with Jeff because you're the guy who wrote a review. Uh, for Games Abyss on the game, your score is a bit different from the majority of scores. So, kind of in, in, in short, Jeff, what was your view on the game? It was a bit of a controversial review. I don't want to get into the, the nitty gritty of it, but uh, I had some, some debates with my editor. I gave it a 5 out of 10. And the reason that it even scored that high was because I, I enjoyed the game ironically. Like, I went into it trying to take the game very seriously, and for you know, the first hour or two, I kind of could. I just thought it was bad. And after a while, I just gave up and just started laughing at how bad it was. And I feel like if I was trying to take the game seriously, it would have been a lower score. But I really did enjoy it just for how bad it was. I, I likened it to, like, Showgirls or The Room of video games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Okay, for example, you always have to go on, like, the, these quests to do... Uh, to do something for people so they'll do things for you, but they seem so out of place in Heavy Rain. Like, there's a, a private eye, and he goes into a, a, a mobile home where there's a baby in a stroller and a suicide note next to it from one of the victims of a serial killer's victim's uh, mother has committed suicide. And I guess she just happens to do that right as you're on your way there, even though she could have done this anytime the last couple of years. Anyway, you save her, and she's like, don't, you know, don't call the hospital. And you're like, okay, dress my wounds okay and then she's like by the way my baby can you change its diaper and you have to go and change the baby's diaper for her and then she's like i think my baby's hungry there's some milk on the counter and then you have to go do that 
<laughs> and then she's like, thank you. By the way, here's this clue that the killer left for me. <laughs> and the whole game is just filled with absolutely ridiculous quests like that. And one I did mention in my review is the police captain just for no reason asking you, oh, by the way, these ties always give me trouble. Could you help me tie this? And I just felt like most of the tasks in the game, like, why am I doing this? And again, the, the plot, as I was saying, it's a very story-heavy game. It's all based on the writing, and if that falls flat, the whole game falls flat. And then the, the writing is just awful. Like, we'll, we'll get into the twist later, but the, there are more plot holes than there is plot in Heavy Rain. Like, there's so many red herrings that go absolutely nowhere and contradict each other. And the whole thing is just... It has some good moments, and I'm sure we'll we'll discuss that later. But by and large, I just I enjoyed it for how absolutely bad it was. You see, if you'd been reviewing the game for Destructoid, and it was uh, you'd be giving it a ten by Jim Sterling's <laughs> estimation. Did you see his review of Deadly Premonition? I did. Uh, I did. That was a- after I'd written my Heavy Rain review, but it was it was quite similar to that. And I I thought about giving Heavy Rain a higher score, but I didn't want it. Um, my earlier draft had a lot more sarcasm, and I, I, I there was some debates about that because I think my editor thought it sounded too uh, like I was being too dismissive or ranty, and I don't know exactly what the problem was. So a lot of that was cut. They they still alluded to how I thought the game could be enjoyable, right. um, ironically, but but yeah, that that was originally more of my thesis was that it's fun in a bad way. It's funny, I actually, uh, agreed quite a bit with with Jim Sterling's review on Destructoid, he had to give it a higher score than me. He's a little bit more generous. But, but yeah, it's, it's an enjoyable B game. However, the, what kind of makes it different than, like, Showgirls Over the Room is a movie's only 90 minutes, and you can kind of watch it again and again at a party. Heavy Rain, it, it, it's not very replayable. It, you just have to sit through so many of the same actions. I, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter comment that even people who like the game have said they've either tried playing it a second time or they've watched um, a family member or a friend play it and watching other playthroughs, they're kind of disappointed at how little malleability there is and you can't skip cutscenes or any of the, the filler stuff. So, yeah, it's, it, it's fun once, but for the right reasons. <laughs> right. So a, a, fair, a fairly negative view from, uh, from Jeffrey Matlef. Uh, it's... What did you think of the game? Were you a bit more, uh, a bit more, a bit more praised than Jeff had for it, or were you on the same kind of level as he is? I, uh, I think at the start I had a lot more praise for it. Um, I think there's been a lot spoken of, and for some reason people have latched onto the brushing of teeth and how mundane and boring it is, and they shouldn't be doing this in a video game and all this, but. I actually quite liked that part. I loved, I really enjoyed the whole opening scene, you know, feeding your kid and getting him ready for his birthday party, playing in the back garden, all this. I thought that was great. It was real nice character development. It got me into using the controls, getting used to the control system. And, you know, I started to actually think, oh, this, you know, this is quite good. I'm, I'm feeling for the characters already. I'm going to get invested into the game. But then, as, as Jeffrey says, like, getting further on into it, there's just so much... I don't know if it's the acting or how it's just split up or if there's just too many characters, but you get, I, I kind of got confused with it straight away. And it was, it, I don't know where it was, where the game was really wanting to go. Right. Nothing really seemed to fit that well. And 
I don't know. It's more of a writing issue than anything else for me. But I mean, initial impressions were brilliant. I mean, I was, I was thinking this is you know they've they've created something quite special here, but they didn't seem to carry it on. So, kind of the end your your overall result. I mean, are you, are you in the kind of Jeff Campbell's so bad it's it's okay, or uh, is there more worth to it than that? There's more worth to it than that. I think. I think the the building blocks are there. It's just that if they employed somebody who could write, then maybe they, it would have been a much, much better game. Because everything, you know, the look, the feel, the, the, the technology behind it, I would say even the way it's played is absolutely fine. It's just the way it, the way it played out, the story itself was just so bad, it, it just dragged it all down for me. Okay, so not, again, not a very positive uh, <laughs> assessment from Ditsiana. Are you going to provide a bit of balance or is it going to be free for free? Um, well, I've, I've probably got more issues, but uh, before going to that, I'd like to just quickly read you something. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, re- I'm quoting something here. Notable skill has gone into the making of this, but it's hard to take much pleasure in that. Feeble contrivance turns out to be one of the deadly sins. Key plot points are not always believable, and a great many of the twists are visible considerable way down the road. When you add a level of pretension that indicates somebody believed this had profound things to say about the human condition, the results are regrettable. That is a review of the film Seven <laughs> by um, <laughs> Kenneth Turan in the LA Times in 1996. And I, for me, there are two fundamental issues with, with Heavy Rain. The first, for me, is that the, the gameplay, if we can call it that, is fundamentally flawed. And, and we'll probably get into a longer discussion on that later. Um, and um, for my mind particularly in the opening sort of hour of the game, um, it felt to me like I was playing the game on the wrong platform. Um, and it's, I think I've reaffirmed that belief now because I've just been playing um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories on the Wii, which amazingly does so many things the same, you know, um, from quite early on and achieves them in a much, much better way. And, and I'm convinced that that's, that's part of the problem. Um, and the so, sorry, you're, you're alluding to the, to the lack of motion control then? The, the lack of, or the use of motion control. So in, in uh, you really need um, Joe here really, but um, I mean in, in, in Silent Hill, which has only just come out here in the UK, um, there are, it, it does very similar things. So very mundane things like opening a cupboard or opening a door, or undoing a latch or um, finding a key in a can of Coke are all done with the motion control. And it, it, there's no instruction so you don't have something pop up on the screen and go, you know, push left and up. You just have a little thing that says grab. And so you grab it and you pick up a can and you hear it rattle and you turn it over and the key falls out. It's, it's intuitive. There isn't, there isn't a need to kind of um, sort of almost like cue card you through every single interaction that you want to make. Um, in terms of the story, as I just said, I think the problem you've got here is that what David Cage has tried to do is, well, he's used quite clearly, and, and I think most people who've played this have, have made the, the comparison, he's quite clearly used Seven. The film Seven is his inspiration for this. And I think the problem is that the film Seven was fundamentally flawed. Um, so it, it's, it, it, you're, you know, you're on a, a loose footing before you've even began. Um, and then when you bring into that that he doesn't have the level of the quality of writing or or um, or even cinematography that that the film had that film seven had that you know, you, you're already losing. Um, so, I mean, uh, 
I mean, there are other issues which we'll get into a bit deeper. But for me, the you know fundamentally, it was a a badly conceived story with pretty horrible plot devices and uh, a minimal, if non-existent, level of interaction, which just ruined it for me, really. And um, I think I, I mentioned this on... You probably saw me mention this on Twitter, and um, Striden from the Gamer Scene said something similar. Um, the, the, in the opening um, prologue, <clears throat> you obviously got all this stuff with the two children, and you, you're building a relationship with them, and you're doing these mundane tasks in the garden and everything else. And then you're kind of taken to a location where... Um, uh, through a, ma- a number of really ridiculous contrivances, one of your sons then gets killed. And this is all a, a preamble and a setup to have the main character, Ethan, have some deep psychological scar. And it's such a, it's such a lamentable, lame way of doing it. And it, it's the sort of uh, plot device that uh, a really cheesy soap opera would use when it's trying to establish a new character that had emotional problems. You know, it, I, just to me, it just it really put me on the wrong footing right early in the game. And I said I didn't have a clue what was going to happen. I didn't know it was a, the game was going to be about child child abduction and child murder. Um, and I don't have don't necessarily have a problem with that. It's just the the, the mechanics of doing it were really really cheap and nasty. I, I think I called it in some notes I made a kind of um, they're like sideshow games. You know, the things that are done are are cheap. They're the quick and easy way of doing it. They don't, they don't make you step back and think about what's going on. They just make you go, bleh. You know, they, they make you jump or they make you sort of reel back and go, oh, that's not very nice. But they don't, they don't disturb you in a way that makes you think, oh, that's, that's really terrible. You know, what if this happened and that happened? You, I, I don't know if that's, that makes sense. But I know it totally, it totally makes sense. I mean, I'm not that I necessarily completely agree with what you're saying, but it's, it's similar to kind of, um, the sore aspect of films. Not the same level of horror and gore, but it is kind of just uh, very superficial. Uh, there's, like you're saying, there isn't really much thought into, into like as you call them, the sacrifices you're making. Uh, it's just very much a, a, this is a this is a horrible thing to do and you're going to have to do it kind of aspect, which I, I guess is what you mean by the sort of sideshow thing aspect of it. Yeah, it's, they're just really cheap shocks rather than, you know, I've heard, you know, some of the reviews I've read since I've played the game talk about it being emotionally engaging and emotionally affecting and, uh, you know, I, just for me, I just didn't feel it. And, and as, a, as a parent, you know, with a, a young child, I didn't feel it at all. It just, they just seemed like cheap shocks. Like I said, the sort of thing you would expect to see in a, in a cheesy 30-minute soap opera where you have very limited time to build something up and then to take it away. Um, I also felt that, again, in terms of the overall game, um, if you look at... uh, I mean, this is fundamentally, this game is a thriller, okay? So, again, it's interactive, so we'll we'll give it that. But at the end of the day, it's a thriller. You look at some of the great thriller movie makers of the past 50 years, you know, the the ones you immediately think of are are sort of Hitchcock, you know? And... um, you look, you look at a classic Hitchcock film like Rear Window or, or Marnay or, um, or even something like the, you know, even something like Psycho to a certain extent. All of his films ebb and flow, so there'll be highs and lows. And you need the highs so that when you have the lows, there's a stark contrast. And in Heavy Rain, there's one tiny high right at the beginning of the game. And for the whole rest of the game, it's just one monotonous low. And the only thing I've ever seen in my entire life that was the same as that was the film Seven. So not again an entirely positive review. <laughs> um, 
free for free. I mean, obviously, we don't really want to have a total, just a slam, you know, cast all three of us against the game. Uh, luckily, I think um, I, I'll hopefully be able to provide that balance. I mean, I, as every big red potion listener knows, uh, Joe and I have been uh, have had a, lot, had a lot of anticipation for this game. Have set very lofty expectations upon it. For me, it didn't deliver on mine, but. Uh, and actually, it came a fair bit short of mine. I, I was really expecting one of the best games this year, and I, I don't think Heavy Rain is one of the best games this year. Having said that, uh, I'm, I'm not nearly as uh, put off by its issues as all, all three of you are. I'm, I may be more forgiving. Um, not that I can't... <laughs> listening to all you guys, i kind of nodding my head to quite a lot of what you're saying, and yet at the same time, I, I wouldn't say give it Jeff's 5 out of 10. Um and we'll get into you know a lot of these issues in in a in a second. What I would say is that you know we last year we did our you know our, our game of the year show. We all picked five games to talk about, and I picked the five my five best games from that year. The the, the five games I thought that were the the best quality for this year. I'd pick four games that were the best quality, and I put Heavy Rain in there because I think it warrants the discussion because of how significant it is. Not necessarily because it's good enough, but because it raises enough questions and it, it's. It's trying enough things to be to, to warrant a discussion. Now, again, you guys may may not agree with that, uh, may think that that's giving it a lot of uh, a lot of credit where it's not due. But for me, I think uh, it, even with all its flaws, it, it still stands out as something that's just not like other video games or any other video game, apart from, to be frank, a lot of Quantic Dream's previous work. Um, but we'll get into all that. I think. A good starting point is to go to where Jeffrey was saying about you know shaking the controls of the brush sheaf. The, these controls, a lot of people had a problem with it. A lot of people said that the the, the way that you play the game is, is abstraction. That you know, if you are shaking your controls of the brush sheaf, that's not really what you would do to brush your teeth. You would, you know, you would brush your teeth. You wouldn't be shaking a, something in your hands up and down in front of you. Whereas a lot of people like uh, like Mitch Capata didn't have any problem with it. He just said that uh, the the kind of the controls were more sensitive than anything else that is, that is out there, apart from, I guess, maybe, like, Sam was saying, the Wii, and that, uh, in particular, like, the, the QT, the quick time event commands were, made him genuinely did not know what was coming around the corner. Okay, we'll move back to here. You said that they, they were abstractions, but all video games are abstractions. I mean, in most games, you hit square to swing your sword, or something of that nature. So, I, I wasn't against that. The part that bothered me is that most of the actions you're performing added nothing to the story, like, like brushing your teeth. Okay, actually, let me backtrack a bit. Um, one of my biggest disappointments about Heavy Rain is that I didn't feel that it was that unique and that different from other games. It, I, I mean, I really did consider it kind of a, a glorified point-and-click point adventure without puzzles. And I'm not saying the game should have had puzzles. That would have made it even more gamey and... Um, been incongruous to what it's trying to achieve. But as far as just the design of the game, so much of the game is, you know, walking back and forth and triggering certain events, you know, picking up an item or talking to a person until the game will allow you to move on to the next event. And that's one of the reasons it's so incredibly boring if you try and replay it, having to go through the motions again, having so little malleability in what goes on. And I understand there's technical limitations to that. Um, I know earlier Zan brought up Silent Hill, and I agree that that game did it much better, because that game, you do a lot of menial tasks in that as well, just looking around at things and, um, you know, toying with items. But just the way that you do that influences the story a lot more, whereas in Heavy Rain, 
Um, you can't say not brush your teeth and then, you know, have your your wife um, condone you or, you know, criticize you for having bad breath or something like that. Like, even something like that would have been kind of cool. Just some little tell that what you're doing actually affects your day instead of you can't go downstairs unless you have brushed your teeth. So um, I really didn't feel that it was that that unique of a game. I mean... Whenever people tell me that, I'm just like, have you have you not played a point-and-click adventure before? You know, play Monkey Island, play Grim Fandango, and, um, or Silent Hill. Um, actually, the, the best example I could think of was a, a little independent game called Chivalry is Not Dead by Deirdre Ki. And it, it's very similar to Heavy Rain, and in, in the, the sh- or what Heavy Rain was trying to achieve in its structure. It's only about a half hour long at max, but every decision you make, every dialogue that you pick, every interaction you make, has some kind of consequence, and the game can end in two minutes if you so so wish to do that. And I I know the heavy rain is much longer, but so I, I can't expect that kind of malleability. But I would have wanted the game to be much tighter, like a movie, and have every action be something that is important to either the story or the character. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, um, yeah, I, I kind of touched on that point earlier about the um, the interactivity. I mean the. I, to me, there were two there were two big issues with it. First, that um, they go they kind of went out of their way early on in the game to have virtually every environment you're in lovingly rendered with um, many of the kind of uh, scenery um, and objects in the room that you could interact with. So you could you know turn on turn off a TV, you could turn on and off a light, you could open a drawer, open a cupboard, open a fridge, do all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the problem you have is that once you introduce that to the player, you need to be consistent with it. Um, and one of the fundamental mistakes I made quite early on is that you could be in one room, or uh, actually the classic example is the car. So uh, quite early in the game, whenever you get in a car, you have to go through the motions of actually starting the car. You have to open the door and turn the key and put it in gear and press the accelerator pedal. And then about a third of the way through the game, all of a sudden you're able to get in cars and not do any of that. Right, um, and then all of a sudden you are doing that again, and then there's a key point later on where I think it kind of um, I can't remember when it was now, but there was some kind of moment of peril where you needed to get in the car quickly and drive away, where actually maybe introducing those interactions and having some tension in it would have worked, and you didn't do it. You kind of got in the car and it drove off, and I thought I was fully expecting to have to go through those same motions again against the clock because that's the way a lot of the you know the kind of action sequences uh, roll out, but it didn't do it. And I thought well, this, is, this is just so inconsistent. Not only are these mundane, meaningless tasks made irritatingly, monot- you know, irritatingly difficult with sort of weird gestures that you're making on the control pad. They're not even consistently done. Um, and um, a couple of things, a couple of scenes, I actually had to replay because I messed it up. And that's another problem with it in that your punishment, I think Jeff may have mentioned this in his review actually, but your punishment for failing, you did mention this Jeff, didn't you? Punishment for failing is that you have to replay the scene again. Yes, I, I did mention that. Which is so, 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 it's grinding in, for want of a better word, because I mean, I only played it on the medium difficulty and uh, there were several uh, things I had to do where I had to repeat the same thing over and over again and on the fourth or fifth time you're sort of tearing your hair out going oh just you know and it doesn't help that the um, I, I can't remember what it was now but it, I had to do something with the actual motion control in the six axis right? 
and there's there's some horrific lag on it when you when you do these things sometimes and it was just always lagging out when i did it and it was driving me mad so i again it i, I think the way i i'm coming across is that i'm 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 saying that i really hated the game when a bit like jeff said earlier actually in parts i thought this is quite good but whenever i was asked to do something or whenever I was asked to think about something, that's when I found I had problems with it. See, the, the control system for me, I didn't really have that many problems with it. The whole on-screen pressing of buttons and holding down different ones, and they were kind of consistent in the sense that when it was more of a high-tension thing, you had to maybe hold down more buttons and then press another one really fast. Yeah, that kind of added a little bit of difficulty to it, but... I don't actually see the problem with the control system. I don't think I would have preferred to have a menu which I would then pick from and say, you know, talk to this person and say this. I'd rather have, like, the floating bubble around my head or just more, the more context-sensitive things which were going on in the world. I think it, it fitted the actual environment perfectly. And, yeah, I guess the consistency wasn't right, but in some, some scenes it actually worked quite well. Like um, when Sean, when, when you've still got him and you're in your front room, and you've got the option to actually make some food for him or get him a snack. If you just wander off and just go and explore the environment, he'll actually go off and get his own thing. He'll go get, like, a, I think it's a bag of chips or a bag of crisps. Mm. And, you know, he, the game still carries on, even though you haven't interacted. But then again, it's not consistent because there are some parts where it's waiting for you to press that button and it won't well, move. I want to come in on that point because um, I, again, it's probably just how I play games, but... Um, it was the scene in. It happened two or three times actually, but the, the key one was the scene with the psychologist, and then instantly that psychologist should be struck off because he doesn't know what schizophrenia is. Um, <laughs> in fact, it's quite insulting um, what they portray schizophrenia as because it's not. Yes, exactly. Um, um, but that whole scene um, played itself out for me because um, when uh, he asks you a question, you get the thought bubbles flying around, and just as he asked me, I reached over to grab my cup of tea. And uh, as I look back, it had already decided what I was going to say. Yeah, I, I oh, missed right, that as well. That was a bit um, of so, an odd, odd thing. I, I didn't quite get the motivation behind that. For Did they think that you know it breaks the immersion if he's just sitting well, there I, not talking? I can tell you exactly why they do it. It's because um, David Cage sees this as a film. So he is the director. He's directing the scene. He says how long the pauses are between someone saying something and then someone responding. He wants it to look like a movie. So... You're only you have to fit in with his direction. So this is why I always have issues with it being a, an interactive um, decision making. You know, a game where you can decide what happens because you can't for much of the game. He's directing what's going to happen. He may decide there are branching paths, but ultimately he he decides what happens and when. And um, as I kind of carried on in that scene, my daughter then started. Whinging, so I kind of reached down to see to her, and again I missed another prompt. So I thought, well, this is a bit weird. I'm I'm not pressing the button, but the game is carrying on. So I actually sat through that entire scene without touching any buttons at all. I think I got two trophies, and <laughs> it had absolutely no impact on the story whatsoever. And I sort of thought to myself, well, what you know, this is this is just smoke and mirrors. I'm not really doing anything here. It's 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 just picking what it wants me to do. So. To reaffirm that, I then sort of quickly looked up on the internet and tried to find a walkthrough because I wanted to find out, you know, had that really screwed the game up for me um, because, you know, I hadn't really decided to do those things. Um, and at the time, because it's quite early on, I didn't realise you could redo the scene. And I looked, and I looked through the walkthrough, and basically it picked 
the exact same things I would need to pick if I was doing a, a walkthrough where I wanted a certain ending. And I thought, well, again, he's he's telling me what what he wants to happen. And there was two or three other occasions where you get exactly the same thing happen. And I just thought, that, you know, in terms of trying to engage the player, um, it's it's an illusion. So if you're programmed to press the button as soon as you see it, you'll play through the game and you won't feel or see any of that. If you're like me, someone who's constantly being distracted when they're playing, either through baby daughters or uh, try not to spill my cup of tea, then uh, you quickly see quite early on that it's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, there's a guy pulling the strings and the whole thing isn't real. It's an interesting point. Do you think that maybe you got those trophies for being a good parent and taking care of your daughter instead of playing the game, which is actually the message of Heavy Rain? Maybe David Cage is more wise than he's, he's, he must be very, very clever. Yeah. See, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna counter a bit actually because I think um, I'm I'm with Dits as well on the controls to start off with. I think uh, for the most part, apart from the walking, which you know, if, if, if David Cage wants to direct a movie, then don't implement walking where I'm moving in, you know, walking into walls almost half the time. It was just it's really what was wrong with uh, with the D pad to walk? I didn't quite understand that. Also, you're clenching your fist while you're walking. Because you're you're holding down R two, yeah. Walk. So he must spend his whole life walking around with a clenched right fist. A very angry man. Um, <laughs> but you know, apart apart from the walking, I, I didn't really see a problem with a lot of the the context sensitive controls. Like like Mitch was he said in his review, you know, Bayonetta has a lot of uh, visual cues and, and controls that you you press, and uh, I think it's not that much different from heavy rain and heavy rain actually puts a bit of context into what you're doing half the time. So, uh, I think in, in that respect, it's not much different from most video games, but it still managed to do what most video games do just a little bit better with its controls. Um, for me, in terms of the trivialities, things like say, um, like Jeff was saying, you can, you brushing your teeth to, to go downstairs. I mean, it, it's not quite as black as white as you have to do everything to 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 go down. Like there is there is the option to miss certain things and uh, and uh, the option to do certain things and and not other things. And this is something that uh, was revealed to me just in the just briefly watching my girlfriend play through the sort of first two uh, scenes. Um, and in particular, the the opening house scene, which you know, it may be an illusion. It may not be the same when you when you go into the later stages of the game and there's less to do, like Zan was saying. But in that opening, she did it. She played it completely differently to how I did. Um, and uh, immediately, there was something very small in two scenes later, which was different. Not huge, not plot changing, mind you. Pretty much superficial, but it was there. And it was I was sitting there trying to work out, well, what did she do that I didn't do? That means that's there now. Um, and I couldn't really work it out, which I mean, you can hold that as a criticism. I think that's, you're talking about the behind the curtains and magic. That's kind of the whole thing, isn't it? You're not really meant to quite understand how this all works. I think that would have been, if there'd been more of that kind of thing in Heavy Rain, more of this, this obviously clear indication that the little things matter, then, then I don't think Jeff would have had, had half his criticisms. A lot of people would have had half their criticisms. The other thing I'll say about the trivialities, I think they help the pacing, actually. Like, say, say certain things like um, you, that woman you're interviewing in the, in the, towards the end stages of the game, it's, who turns out to be Shelby's mum. Like, just little things like sitting down on the bed. It doesn't really make a difference, but actually for me, it just kind of, it, if I wanted it to be, I could make the scene, it, it, it work in the scene. Or when you're interviewed by the psychologist and you throw your pen to the ground, I just did, it just happened to click that I did that at a really 
integral part of that, that speech where he was talking about I'm fine or something and he just threw it down to the desk. Um, it, it, I think it's a lot about how you approach the game. If you kind of, like Zan saying, you know, um, if you are there and you put the controller down and you go, play it for me, then yeah, it is going to kind of break the magic. But that, a lot of games do kind of break the magic if you put the controller down and say, play for me, because your character will just either sit there doing nothing or something will happen and he'll die. You know, like a lot of games require you to interact. And I, I do get what Zan is saying, but I think at the same time, uh, if you, with any game, if you do go into it looking to break it, you will probably more often than not break it. I think it's more the fact that the... It's... It, um... It's not that he's kind of intentionally looking to break it. It's that you you find well certainly when I played it, and, and I've heard a couple of other people say the same thing. They sort of discovered it was broken by accident. You know, I didn't mean to do that. And um, in most other games, like you said, I would have if I'd have reached over to grab my cup of well, actually reached over to grab my cup of tea. So I thought I had time because in these sorts of games, you know, if you've played a a Bioware RPG, normally once they start getting into dialogue, you get to choose. You get time to actually consider and think what your response is going to be. Um, the fact that it doesn't then play out like a film would or a conversation would is kind of neither here nor there, really, because like if you're reading a book, you if you're distracted, you don't try to carry on reading. You stop, you take the distraction, and then you carry on. And, okay, and Heavy Rain, I could have paused it. And in fact, after that, I, I religiously did. I kept right. pausing it because <laughs> of that. But you see what I mean? The expectation is that, okay, I've got time to think about what to do next. And quite often in Heavy Rain, sometimes for the for the good, and I'm saying this is, this is a consistently negative um, view, you, are <clears throat> you have to make a, a snap decision. But again, it's inconsistent because... Sometimes you make a snap decision where it doesn't need to be a snap decision, and the reason you're doing it is so that he can make it look like a scene. And there are other times where you would probably make a snap decision, and then he doesn't do it because it doesn't fit with what's going on at that point. And it's the inconsistency that's the issue with it, for me anyway. And I think Jeff mentioned that um, you know when you're playing it, you go through periods of, certainly I did, where I thought, this is really good. You know, Some of the things he's doing are really, are really new, and I've not seen something like this before. And then, bang, there'll be something else that just pulls you straight out of it and you go oh, that's just so stupid you know what, what 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 was that for so yeah it's very conflicted and it's true in the story and it's true in the control system as well i think this it's, we were sorry we were sort of given this whole the spiel at the start the whole hype was we could choose you know even the box says you know you can choose every part of the game and in some aspects, you can in, in its own little small instances. But there's, a, as you said about inconsistencies, there's a point in the game where you've got to pick a lock. And you can fail that for, you know, hour, two hours, all day if you wanted to. And the game will not move on. And I did. I failed that six times before I got through. <laughs> yeah. And it just like, okay, so surely I'd be dead by now. The, the house is going to yeah. come down crashing on me because it's on fire at the time, isn't it? So, mm. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, but then again, I guess you know they want us to see certain things. You know, I guess this whole idea of we can choose everything is maybe it's unattainable right now. You know, to actually develop something with that many choices and that many things you can do is it might just be impossible. I just realised I, I got that there was wrong. Much slower game. I'm oh, sorry, I was going to correct myself. I just realised that the house wasn't on fire at that time. No, that would been more... that would have been really stupid if it was. <laughs> sorry, I mean, anyway, I, anyway, I don't want to keep comparing it but again because I've just started playing well I'm about halfway through Silent Hill um, 
a lot of these things are done in Silent Hill. And a lot of it is so subtle, so subtle. And the, the difference it makes to your your playthrough is incredible. I've seen, um, I don't know if it's worth watching the, on Giant Bomb, they did a, a kind of second playthrough of um, Silent Hill Shattered Memories for their Christmas show because they, uh, Christmas season, because they had, uh, it was their Wii game of the year. And just listen to their shock <laughs> when they're playing through it a second time to see how different everything is because of what has gone on before. And none of it was based on, um, well, some of it would have been based on answering certain questions or choosing certain responses, but a lot of it was based on simple things like looking at something in the environment. So if you look, read a poster in the environment, um, just as you're walking past, that then can fundamentally change how something else plays out further on. It's just mind boggling the way it works. And you never see, it working whereas in heavy rain like i said it's 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 like you're peeping behind the curtain you 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 can see how it's working when you're playing it if you do something trivial like reach for a cup of tea you know it, it just comes to the surface straight away i can almost hear joe screaming at his uh at his mp3 player silent hill 2 so i'm mentioning it for you joe silent hill 2 and all the different ways that it it all, all the ways the ending could change in that game, uh, which is pretty much it, it, the same kind of thing you're talking about, Zan. From what I understand of it, Joe, I'm sorry, I've not played it, but uh, I've, I've heard you rant enough about it. Um, Aliens coming down at the end of this would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> or just a dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, one of the one of the things I kind of think you're all, you're, hint, you're hinting towards, and I, I mean, I'm going to mention a lot of different bloggers and people who've written articles because uh, there's this is one of the things we're trying to do in the post-mortem, see how people react to it. I'll include a, a big list of uh, show links in the in the show in the show notes. But Michael Abbott, who writes Brain Again blog, he's been on this podcast a couple of times, he referred to the uncanny valley of player agency, which I guess is what you're kind of saying, Zan, you know, that whole um, getting into the car, and, and it's, it's at the end of that first scene with the FBI agent, isn't it? You, you, you do all the stuff, then you have to leave. So you get into the car, close the door... Uh, pull back the, the gear stick and, and push on the accelerator. And it, even then I sort of thought that, well, that's kind of superfluous. I mean, the scene could have ended five seconds ago. I get that you're trying to infer that even menial tasks have weight, but the scene dramatically ended before he, he'd left in the car. And then, like you say, moments later, you uh, well, I think hours later, sorry, you, you, you're in a, a high-speed high chase and he just gets into the car and goes off. And it's kind of... I think that's what Michael's saying, that they're... they're what you could do and what you couldn't do was so much more uh, spotlighted in this game because of what you could do. What things like sitting down on a on a on a sofa or turning on a radio for uh, any you know they're trivial tasks, but because they're there, you want to do everything else. Did 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 any of you get that sense uh, when you played the game? Definitely, you can do your laundry, but you can't call the cops. Right. <laughs> you, you also can't push glass out of the way which I just found bizarre. Um, one of the torture scenes has in crawling over glass, which is loose. Um, any person with half a brain would just push the glass out of the way because it's not glued to the surface or anything. So, you know, you roll up your jacket and you push it out of the way. It's not rocket science. You know, this the same thing. Yeah, I thought so it was... Did... Go, go on, Jeff. Oh, how does the killer set up all these traps? Like... It's Where's quite a large that guy. trial take place? He has like a museum <laughs> somewhere. They spend so much time talking about where that third trial took place. You know that becomes you know he, 
a huge point in the investigation for all the characters. And then later there's an, and I, I probably wouldn't have even thought of this if the third trial hadn't been such a, uh, if its location hadn't been such a, a plot heavy point. But then later they, they have like this really elaborate museum like setting. I'm like, where is this guy? <laughs> How is this set up? Right. I mean, I, I found particular, I had particular qualms with the scene you mentioned earlier, the, the, the trailer thing, because my first thought, and I'm sure many of your guys thought was like, Jeff, you know what? This girl's going to do this again. I'm going to call someone because, frankly, <laughs> I'm not going to leave her. And that wasn't an option. What well, instead I was changing a baby's diaper. I mean, you could argue, you could argue and make sense in the later context of your character, but then, frankly, nothing makes sense in the later context of your character. Uh, you're playing a Shelby at that point, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, but I guess I think it's even smaller things than that, you know, like, say, um, watching television, why couldn't I change the channel? Or uh, listening to radio, why couldn't I put a certain song on? And it, it's, it's, maybe it's, I, I've heard this, that maybe... I think you actually talked about it, Dan, as well, in your in your post, which we'll link to. That because the world looks so realistic, and it really, for me, never, never really in the visuals gone to that uncanny valley area. I think actually it did just get past it for me because the eyes, really, in particular, I don't know what, what you guys felt, but the eyes I thought were spot on, nailed. Um, that it that it 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 creates an uncanny valley of of control. Is is that what you were referring to, Sam? Yeah. I, I... It does look again. It's, again, it's inconsistent in its looks, but it does look for all the world to be a real, living, breathing world. And that it's a combination of the the graphics, which are very good, in you know, on the whole, and some brilliant sound design. Um, uh, in particular, I don't know if you guys recall the 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 scene in the park. Um, if you listen very carefully when you're in that park, you can hear so many different things. Not just the children playing, but you hear a plane go overhead, you hear, um, you hear traffic, you hear a siren at one point. There's loads of, um, certainly if, you, if you've got like a 5.1 set up, it's the, the, the surround sound was absolutely brilliant. And it, that was really immersive. But then, of course, you then have to start waggling sticks and doing dull things like that, and you, you pull straight out of it again. But yeah, it's that, I think that's the problem with it, is that it, if you okay, if I wanted to be really insulting, I'd say if you could stand still in heavy rain and just take in what you're looking at, it looks completely uncanny valley. As soon as you have to do move or do anything, it's at that point it just pulls you straight from from that world, and you realise that you're playing a a game with dodgy controls and a weird camera. You know, it, it's it's a pity. Um, because the you know that aspect of it is is sensational, really. And I get the impression again. Looking at um, you know the uh, the loading screens and and the um, the, the facial animation yeah. stuff are superb. I mean, um, they remind me of when um, that Final Fantasy film came out. Is it Spirits Within? Advent Children? No. Oh no, the, no, no! You mean the later one? The, yes, Spirits Within. You're quite right. Yeah, and and that was a similar thing where um, much was made of how of the fact that every hair was animated and every freckle. And, and when you watch those loading screens, I mean, they're sensational, aren't they? I mean, they look almost like you're looking at a real person. I mean, that you don't get any more uncanny value than that. But I don't know. There's, yeah, I think once you set that up, you have to kind of, again, be consistent with it. And the problem is that as soon as you try to do something in the game, it, it falls apart. Yeah, and it's it's the whole thing where I've, I've said in like an, an, an iron show that... Um, it, it, I'm, I struggle to call it a game 
And I think if it was more game-like, then we could have had more fun aspects like changing the channel, like flipping around in, on the radio or just wandering around the room and doing silly things. Because it is this interactive fiction, uh, or it wants to be, then the whole fun aspect sort of just gets thrown out the window because we're forced down a path. You know, it is just a, a, a very big flowchart. No. Or or a, or a very flashy DVD menu, which is what my wife described it as. I want to explore that a bit more. Actually, this. What do you mean by more of a game than an interactive rom? Do you mean if it was a bit more, it, a bit more experimental, like something like Nubby Nubby Boy? Um, no, no. I'm thinking more. I'm, I'm, I want to save this a bit later, but a bit more Shenmue, because I think if you're gonna. If I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I think this game has a lot in common with Shenmue, actually, even down to the controls and walking into walls. But you know, it, it's you know the, the way you can interact with the world, say in this, is very finite. You've got, you know, you, as I said before, like the instances, you can sit down, you can stand up, you can turn lights on and off. But they got there's nothing really to them. You take something like Shenmue, which is 10 years old nearly now, you know, but there was point to things. You could go places, you could collect little eggs. You know, they're the more gamey aspects. You could go to the arcade, you could collect CDs and DVDs. That's the more the game, and I think that would have made it a bit more fun, in a way. Maybe it would have detracted from the story, but that's probably not a bad thing. <laughs> I agree. You know, I've always wanted a game. I, I like Shenmue, all right. I, I thought it was a bit of a disappointment for how much it was hyped up, but I've always wanted a game where you're like a, a private eye or a detective of some kind trying to solve a case, and there would be multiple ways to solve it, like multiple leads that you could find, and if you don't catch enough clues, you just wouldn't solve it. I think that would be just such a fantastic premise for a game. I've never seen any anyone do that. In Heavy Rain, there's maybe one really good point near the end where Ethan has to... He, he may or may not have the address where his son is, and he has to kind of decide where where to go because he doesn't have much time left, and that was possibly my favorite moment of the game. Like, that you was that kind was of where a good it came moment. I thought that was one of the worst moments of the game. This uh, one of my my biggest criticisms is uh, is Agent Jaden's mini- minority report uh, detective <laughs> skills, which mm. I, I I understand why it's there because you you don't want the player to feel stupid because he can't see stuff. You don't want to be an actual detective roaming around and thinking where is where I can't find this stuff in the grass. It's too I'm I'm not actually a detective. Oh no, you know. So the glasses bypass all that. They give the the, the player. You know the, the Doctor House skills without actually being Doctor House, um, but it was just so in, uh, inappropriate for the aim of the game because you know Dave Cage just talked about this contemporary modern video game, this one that's in real life. Well, I don't know if any of you guys own glasses that can tell you incredibly complicated data about pollen, but I do not, and I don't think honestly a, a, an FBI agent does. Uh, Listen, I, I think we're talking about different scenes here. I was yeah. talking about oh, really? seagulls. Yeah, yeah, where Ethan is in the car. Yeah. Oh, you know, I like, see. Has a little time to, to guess oh, the location. Apologize. And you, it's actually up that... to the player to use all the knowledge they know to, to decipher where to go. Yeah. I didn't get that. I don't well, think... that no, you, you won't, that will depend on whether you did all the trials or not. Uh, I yeah, only did I'd... the first two, actually, successfully. Yeah. No, excuse me, the first three oh, I did right. successfully. I did, I, I, I did the... Yeah, go on, Jeff. Oh, and I still guessed it okay, but I I think I have like three places to pick from, and I imagine if you do all of them, you it, it tells you where to go, and I, yeah. I got the right location. That's the thing. I think after the third trial, you could pretty much make out 
you know, part of the number and, and pretty much the second word of the address. Like, if mm. the game would have then said, or you know, if it had this whole choice thing, I could have then gone off to a phone book or look at something like, where, where is this place? You know, instead it, it then just moved on to the next scene and you couldn't explore anything further. From, from what I can tell, because I did four of the trials, I, I purposely didn't do one of them. Um, but I didn't do the last one, the one we have to drink the poison, because um, that was just a step too far for me. The um, uh, as a gimmick, that is. I just thought it was like the well, yeah, just a gimmick. But the um, I've subsequently learned that you'll always get three, Jeff. You'll always get three points on that map, and it'll always be the one by the by the river. So um, as long as you've done one of the trials, you'll get the same outcome. So in fact, doing the other three right. trials was pointless. Yeah, I was going to say, it would have been clever if it had been, you know, like 20 choices at first and it yeah. just keep getting narrowed down. Because I felt very clever when I was like, oh man, it's three of them. I can't see that carefully on my map if any of them have railroad tracks nearby. I think it's that one. And then I, and I was correct. And that was, that was a very cool moment. But beyond that, there weren't like lots of little clues you could find throughout. You just kind of had to, to, you know, go through the motions until it told you, um, you know, what to do. Well, I got my minority report out of the way, my event about that, because it was it really did actually annoy me a lot in 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 and it kind of for me ruined Jaden's arc actually. And I thought he was a more interesting character than his sunglasses, but there you go. Um one one thing I wanted to move move on to because uh I, I thought it was going from my, my major criticism of the game to maybe my major bit of praise for it was the actual action scenes, the quick time events, the uh the moments of, of danger. Um for me, personally, apart from that it was way too easy not to die, which is something Edge Edge criticised these these moments for. I thought that the the controls were great. Um, I thought that, I, like like uh, Mitch was saying, I didn't really know what I was going to press each time, so it wasn't something I could always be prepared for. And uh, they were really exciting to watch. I mean, and play through. Like I, I enjoyed them both as someone spectating it and someone interacting in it. So for me, it was a a win-win. I don't know if you guys had the same reaction to the to the quick time event action scenes. What what did you guys think? I like them a lot. They were easily my favorite part of the game. Um, one, I don't know if you call it a quick time event or not, but certainly one of my favorite moments was the second trial where you're crawling through the the electric wires and you have to hold down a lot of a lot of buttons to simulate the um, the contortions that Ethan must do to to fit through these tight spaces. I thought that was very cool. Um, then again, it's sort of, aside from what Cage was trying to achieve about a game about real people and real problems, that you're doing this outlandish, you know, quote-unquote dungeon trial um, type of ordeal. But for what it was, it was very well done. And you know, most of the, the QTs I, I really liked, even if some worked a little better than others. There's definitely times where you're looking too much at the prompts and you're kind of missing the, the fight choreography that's going on. But... Some, but it's a small price to pay. Most of them were, were still very engaging. No, I'd, I'd say the the actual action sequences they were they were excellent. And they had me just sort of jumping around the room, you know, trying to dodge cars <laughs> or running around, you know, running away from people. Like I think when we get first introduced to Madison, you know, it's you know, you're getting chased around your apartment, you're trying not to get killed, and and uh, yeah, all the actual action sequences were. Were, were excellent for me. I thought they were probably the strongest part of the game. They were, well, they were excellently directed. Mm. So um, again, we come back to the point that um, had they been, had they just been cutscenes, um, they would have 
um, played out just as well. Um, the, the problem I had with them is that I know it's a general it's a general problem I have with QTEs is I, I never see what's going on. I'm so busy trying to look for the the prompt that comes up. I'm I'm not very good on those sort of <laughs> sorts of things, and I, I tend to just constantly be staring at the screen waiting for the prompt to come up. That I actually miss half the action. And um, when I played Heavyweight, I, I played nearly all of it with my wife sitting next to me watching it, and um, and we quite often said that um, it was a much better game to watch somebody play than at times it was to actually play it yourself because you, it was difficult to actually take in what was going on. Not always, but a, a lot of the time. In particular, that fight with the, uh, with the with the origami killer, with the sword and stuff. I mean, that was that was over in such a flash and I was so busy trying to press the buttons because I was terrified I was going to get killed that I, I didn't actually see what happened. I just was frantically just pressing buttons and looking for the next up, down, left, right or whatever it happened to be. That's in the, in the club, yeah. I was just trying to realise if I played yeah. that scene or not. Yeah, I yeah. Just going back to the controls, what confuses me, and I don't, I don't think I would have been that bothered really, is if, why didn't they delay this until Christmas and give us it with the PlayStation Arc thing? I, I, I think that would have controlled better or it, uh, from what we saw at E3. I think having something in my hand where I can you know, actually use it like a, like a Wiimote would have lent it a, itself a lot more to, to Heavy Rain style and to where we play it. See, I think the, the counter-argument to that, and I'm only, say, I'm only saying it to be their devil's advocate because I think I agree with you, um, is that maybe like the Wiimote was when it was first released, the arc is not going to be all that fantastic when it releases. It's going to be... It, it may control fairly nicely, but you might find a lot of what you're doing doesn't compute or doesn't you know especially if it's quite specific things so like say you have to to grab someone's neck or whatever um it might be too specific uh i'm not saying that's not better than what you have here but i'm not saying that's necessarily the best showcase uh i think it might expose how how unspecific natal and and uh sony's arc are going to be but that is pretty much a presumption that they are going to be not that great when they release so i, I don't know yeah, I, I'm actually in my notes. I made the same point as um, uh, as, as Dits. I said I, I don't know why they didn't. This is a Sony published game. Why they didn't join the dots? Because uh, a lot of what he's trying to achieve here, I think, could be achieved through some sort of motion control device. And and they've got one coming out. I mean, can you imagine this being a launch title for it? You know, they're trying to again. Maybe maybe that's the, maybe I've just argued myself out of the case there. Maybe because they they see motion control as being something for the casual market that it would this this wouldn't fit. Maybe that's the reason. Do you think this isn't aimed at the casual market? Not at all, no. I would I would argue, I'd say that this is for the casual market. If they want to show us a movie, then they want enough people to see it, if you see what I mean. And maybe the whole... I guess, I, I guess if somebody was completely new to the PlayStation and they had to know where Square and Triangle and all this was... That would that would probably confuse them, but I'd I'd say this is more aimed at everybody. This game, if, if that's their intention, it's, that's a fundamentally flawed idea. Because if someone wants to watch it, if someone someone who is a I don't like using these words, but a non enthusiast, yeah, as they're mm. calling me casual. I don't like the word casual, but they'll just go and watch a film. They'll watch a DVD. They'll watch Seven. They won't buy a game to watch a film. It doesn't won't make sense to them. Oh, I disagree. I think with for us being a bit more experienced with games, we're more able to pick apart the bones of this of this kind of game and, and maybe look deeper into it like we are doing today. I, I'd argue that there's enough novelty 
in the in the platform and the way you're playing this game for someone to go, oh wow, I'm doing this in in a game. I I didn't even think games could do this. I thought all games were fighting aliens and uh, first person shooters or whatever. This is amazing. And I you know I think we've we've already seen a bit of that with the way um, the way newspapers and and radio stations, and television shows have actually started talking about it, even if it's just the aim, and even if the game doesn't deliver on being as good as we expected. I think there's enough novelty there for people to still be interested. That, to me, would have happened already. I mean, that presumes that they found it by accident. Um, I mean, we, we had, uh, years ago, when you had like the Mega CD and the 3DO and things like that, we had similar types of games then that were fundamentally movies that you played by pointing or choosing things, you know, and they were actually, they were movies, weren't they? They were recorded and there were certain scenes that played in certain orders. I, I honestly don't think that's the case. I mean, if you look at what the vast majority of, of in inverted commas, casual gamers play, they're things like Farmville, or they're things like Super Mario, because it's an, an icon they can identify with, or it's, um, it's, it's a game like uh, Wii Sports, which has basic one-to-one controls that they can associate with. They wouldn't go for something like this. This really appeals to to enthusiast gamers who want their medium to be something else, or to someone who's really into movies, maybe, who wants to see, who would be interested in seeing what this would be like as a as a new interactive form of of film. And I'm I'm afraid anyone who's into their movies who played this will be put off for life. You know, it, it, <laughs> this would be a one star Roger Ebert movie. You know, it's 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 trash. So I, I really don't see how 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 you know the 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 assumption that there's people out there waiting for this is just not there. I'm not suggesting there are people out there waiting for this. I'm suggesting that. Uh, there is enough excitement within the non-mainstream gaming media to suggest that Heavy Rain has got something about it which could interest other people, and suggest that it's a lot of. There's been a lot of talk, uh, which is you know the kind of crazy hype which we 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 immediately dismiss. The kind of talk of gaming growing up, and uh, this is now gaming looking to appeal to to markets it's never appealed to before, which I you know. That's not the case. We know that there are games which have tried to do what Heavy Rain has done and some things have done it better than it's done in certain areas, whatever, whatever, whatever. My point is is that it's got enough of immediate interest that suggests that there is something about Heavy Rain as a concept, as, as a, you know, a gritty drama which you can interact with, which is exciting people. Uh, and... Again, like a lot of a lot of that side media doesn't didn't know about Heavy Rain until they saw someone else talking about it a month ago. So uh, well, I, if, I don't know if that's what it wanted to do. It's failed. I mean, I'm I've not saying been... it does that necessarily. <laughs> I'm saying it's it's the concept which is is, is more. Yeah, I mean, I, I've just spent the day in Blue Water, which um, just to explain to Jeff, is like a massive shopping mall. I think it's the biggest one in Britain, and um, uh, I've been in the, the the two game stores there and the HMV, and you wouldn't even know Heavy Rain was out. And how long has it been out? A week. So, again, like I said, I, I don't think that's that's the market they're pitching it at, or they even conceived that it would do. David Cage might have done, but ultimately, this is a game for enthusiasts who want their medium to be who, who hold it. Who've been holding this. I don't know. Maybe it is a flawed ideal that our medium can become more grown up and can move into more highbrow circles. Um, this game is not the way it's going to do it. And um, I don't think that the only people this game really appeals to are those people who are looking for that. 
Well, I think just final point on it then <laughs> um, is that you know they had they, we have heard talks about heavy range shortages in the UK um, for stock for one thing. So um, there is that, and and the second thing, going back to what you were saying about the, the whole Mega CD games, like uh, remember, got to a remember they were a lot more naff than, than Heavy Rain was. Um, even if you know we're talking about it's 13 years ago, they were still pretty terrible, um, and. There was still a bit of excitement about it. I remember going if you went into a, a store at the time, that was all that was there. Especially if it was a if it was a non gaming store. It was like some department store, and here's the game section. And guess what? It's going to be a uh, an interactive movie there for display, and you'd watch people playing it. And I think it's just we we as much as we we know gaming is more part of the mainstream media than it was. I still think there's a lot of a, a, a lot of not what's a nicer word than ignorance <laughs> towards gaming and a lot of not knowing quite where gaming is and what gaming can do, which suggests that something like Heavy Rain, even if it's it's not delivering on its concepts, can ingratiate uh, people outside of the medium. But I I do take your point that uh, I'm not sure that's going to how it's going to that's how it's going to play out over the next few weeks. No, well, we like I said, just final point really. We already have mainstream adoption of video games now. You know, right. uh, in, That's a fair in, point. In, yeah, and and how was that achieved through uh, waving your arms at the telly, making people play tennis? But that, again, that does kind of plays with different kind of gaming, and I, I uh, you know, I think this is the whole thing that we've been. If you listen to the to Radio Five, I mean, you read some of the newspaper articles. That this is what they're saying. You know, gaming isn't just playing, flailing your arms around playing tennis. It's it's flailing your six axes around <laughs> playing an interactive yeah. drama, <laughs> walking across glass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's a it's a very nice showcase title. It's something which maybe could have been well, probably wouldn't it couldn't have been there, but at the start of say the PS3, if if people saw this at the start, they would have just gone, "Oh my god!" You know what what is this game? I must have it. It, it, it's very much a showcase. It's a very uh, it shows off everything, all the power it can do, all the different things that the actual PS3 can can do and deliver to us. It does that very well, and I think, yes, if you put this on a big screen in the middle of a shop, you will have a crowd round it. Frugal Game and Scroogecast. TheGamerScene.com Ninja Fat Vision. UK. Big You don't need to go anywhere else, we have it all here. Buy your games through Frugal Gaming and save a significant amount of cash. Then get down to the communities and play online with friendly and respectful gamers, such as those at the Ninja Fab Pigeons. To find out more about your games, you can check out GamerDog and the Gamer Scene, where news and discussion will keep you well informed. And for those who like to dig deep, there's Big Red Potion, where you can get some serious and in-depth analysis of the games that you love. Okay, and we are back. So... I think what we're going to start off with in the second half is talking about the actual story itself, um, the writing, the, the 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 way the plot moved throughout the game. Uh, did any of you guys read the the Games TM review? I know Jeff, you wouldn't have done, but uh, Dits, Zan, did you, did you get a chance to read the Games TM review for the game? No. Oh uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. They to quote them, they said this is gaming's best ever story. It puts all other stories out of the water. <laughs> does anyone, does anyone want to agree? <laughs> and they, they weren't the other one. A, a number of outlets were very keen to say this is gaming's best or most emotional story. Is, does anyone want to? Does anyone suggest that ha- that statement has any standing? 
No. <laughs> Can't even really begin to to consider no. how that would be possible. I mean, what do they? I, I, I haven't got it open in front of me. So, what's the what's the basis of that? Oh, I haven't got it open in front of me either. But they 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 said that it it, it touched on I think darker themes and gaming's really touched touch on the interactivity oh. was much more heightened. So you you felt you had a bigger part in these things. Uh, the characters were real. The you know all the things that David Cage wanted us to think about the story. The characters looked real. They didn't behave real or have any kind of background or character development at all. And I don't know about this story being emotionally... I mean, as I said before, the, the story is largely a series of shocks with a very sort of primitive narrative. It's If it was a film, it would be a one out of five stars in, you know, in, in every newspaper because it's, it's pretty clumsily put together. Um, I mean, I I like to think I know a little bit about you know films and and and, and uh, you know and, and, and narrative cinema, and it's it's an appalling piece of narrative cinema. And well, yeah, I don't know. I'll let the others speak, but it doesn't that doesn't work for me. So for Even me, if this... you take out all of the plot holes and you just look at the the you know quote unquote the most emotionally engaging part of the story about Ethan trying to rescue his son, even that I don't know if any of you guys have have played and been Bioshock 2, but I felt like that was a better game about fatherhood, or at least a more... I quite agree. I quite, like I said, being a recent father with a nine-year-old daughter, I found Bioshock 2 quite emotional, actually. So, yeah, I quite agree. It's really interesting because a lot of people, a lot of bloggers, this is something, again, Mitch Carter raised, I think a few people raised on Twitter, that looking at it as a parent, they found a lot of a lot of great enjoyment from the game. It, it touched on themes that other games didn't. But again, like... I I don't know. I necessarily agree with you guys that Bioshock Two did it damn my best. So I think Bioshock Two stories has its own problems, but uh, I, I don't think Heavy Rain did a lot to suggest that you know it's, it, it's talked about things like parenting or realistic issues any more than than the other contemporary video games like we've got, like Silent Hill, for, for example. Like I, you know, uh, Joe goes on about all the, the 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 dark issues in that game. There must be something. To, to, to other contemporary video games which interest people and doesn't don't make people put them video down whereas whereas here there was very superficial characters and very superficial stories for me I actually I think the Ethan story was okay it's probably the strongest out of all of them um, I mean the the whole the whole opening you know the the it's very contrasting because you start off it's all happy you know you're doing your normal job you know you you're living your life as normal and then that, then when it switches you know and it's raining and it's gloomy and dark and you're taking your kid to the park but he's he's not talking to you and you're trying to interact you're trying to make some psychological bond that was brilliant that really had me there and then it just the story itself just then fell apart completely i don't i don't understand what happens <laughs> i was i was so invested then and then they they threw in all these different characters and all these different things that just didn't make any sense. I I can't call it a great story at all because there was no real meat in there at all. I don't think it went far enough. I don't think it contradicted itself like with the gameplay it did in the story. I don't think the characters were fleshed out enough at all. There's you know David Cage says that he's you know, this is a mature game and it's gonna it's a very dark film noir movie, well, more thriller in a way. I, I don't think it touched in any elements far enough. Sure, there's all these different trials we need to go through, but after a certain point, I couldn't care less because it wasn't delivered to me in the way it should have been. 
I mean, some of Ethan's trials in and of themselves are kind of interesting, except for the fact that they don't make any sense, because the killer's motivation doesn't even make any sense. No. I mean, he's trying to find a guy, he's trying to test, it's, it's, as my girlfriend put it, saw with parents. And, you know, he's trying to test the, these parents and make sure that they're good fathers or whatever and what they would do. And then he tries to kill Ethan at the end anyway. And I'm like, why? He found a guy who passes tests. What motivation now does he have to kill him? And, and why did he? Why, how? Why did he have a long career in the police force and then suddenly decided that this was something he needed to do as well? It's mm-hmm. bizarre. I'll say he, he managed to. You know, he went into a career of life saving. Um, did that for we assume until three years ago when he retired, and then suddenly wanted to start murdering children to find the perfect parent that he believed it well that you know who he blamed for his brother's death it just doesn't make any sense at all uh, and yet he I, saves the parent well we're, we're talking about the killer's identity right all spoilers are are go here is that correct yes spoilers are very much okay. occurring <laughs> okay so why does he save the woman who who kills you know tries killing herself and leaves her baby out there who's likely going to die before anyone comes to see that person's worth saving, but Ethan, the great father, he wants to kill. It doesn't make any sense. I got the, the feeling I got from the, the, the whole story is that it felt like to me it had been rewritten and changed several times. Um, I've heard um, on the uh, GamerDork podcast, which I think Dits mentioned on Twitter earlier, that they mentioned that some of the um, chronology in it was off, where the, the years and the times were getting mixed up. It sort of uh, gave me the. They contradict the killer's age. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, this is this is one of the things. Uh, there was this big games read article, wasn't there? The fifteen big plot holes in this game, and and the biggest one obviously was Shelby, pretty much as a character, full stop. Uh, you know, and this is something Jim Sterling went to in his article uh, that you know you you see into his thoughts, and he doesn't seem like a, a psychopath, and yet he is a psychopath. So what's going on there? That's another cheesy contrivance, you see, because what David Cage wants to do is have it, when it's revealed that he's the killer, he wants you to be really shocked that you've been playing as him. But Yes, that's what Jim Sterling said, exactly. Yeah, and but it doesn't work, because um, you immediately then think to yourself, well, how come he's not been having killer thoughts? How come he didn't do this? Why was he doing that? Why did he save the girl from drowning? What, you know, and you, you, it asks more questions than it does actually provide any sort of shock value you just well for me anyway i just sort of stepped back and went what that can't be right and i know dits did the same because i saw it on twitter (laughs) (laughs) and and the interesting thing is you speak to someone who really loves this game and unfortunately we don't we don't have someone in the in the podcast that does. Well, unfortunately, Eddie Eddie's author was yeah. going to be on the show, and he really He's does love this game right now. They, they we might get him on to do another show to defend himself. On they the game. clearly <laughs> didn't ask themselves these questions, or perhaps didn't feel the need to ask themselves these questions. I don't know. Is perhaps it's just a different way of. I, 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 t- I totally agree. I mean, this is this is something we talked about a long time ago. Lee, Lee Alexander's argument of engaging with a game: how much you're prepared to go with a game and accept what it's what it does. If you don't engage, and it's gonna it's gonna prove to you that it's broken. And I, it, this is kind of what I was getting at before. But I think um, the problem with Heavy Rain is that it, it really does ask quite a lot of you. <laughs> it, it, it asks you to to ignore quite a lot of things. And, and this is. Especially with Shelby, Jim, like Jim Sterling said in his article, um, you you get privy to certain thoughts which not only aren't just killer thoughts, but they contradict him being a killer. So things like when he's he's talking about the rain and he says, "Oh, there's been a lot of rain. I hope it clears up soon." 
Well, no, he doesn't hope it clears up soon because he's the killer and he wants it to get to, <laughs> to six inches. It, there are all these these really big, ill-thought-out plot holes. My favorite is that he aids his own investigation. The way that that woman, um, I think one was her name, she she decides to um, one of the the clues she has to find the the kid's grave is to look at people by typewriters and cross-examine it with the people in his file. Why does he even have a file on the investigation if he's only pretending to be a PI? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's certain, there, there are certain counter-arguments on there. Like you, I mean, if you really want to get into the whole I'm going to defend this game to the ends of the earth thing, you could say, well, it's a good thing that he looks like he's got the file because then he does do a convincing job of looking like a PI. And you could argue, well, a psychopath does have quite normal thoughts, actually. They just go alongside quite abnormal thoughts. There are, there are counter-arguments, but it... You shouldn't have to make these counter arguments. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be able to pick so many holes at a, at a, at a story. And, and like Sam says, if it was a movie, it would be derided. Which is it's, it's a bigger uh, the prop, the thing for me though. Why I can forgive it, not forgive it, but I can put it to one side and go. You know, it's just a terrible story. Is is what Dix was saying about the um, the scenes as individual things. If I if I can ignore the context, like say. The, the the end scene where uh, if you get the right ending, you your son and uh, Ethan uh, playing as Ethan, you 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 and your son are running around the the flat. It was a really good juxtaposition to the to my opening of the game where I was playing w- with my two sons and you know he was giggling hysterically and and you know of course Ethan is shaven by that point. Okay, it's kind of cheesy, it's kind of cliche, but the fact that I was in that opening scene making my kids laugh by playing with them, and then I'm rewarded in this end scene by getting to see my kids laugh again. Okay, it's not. Great writing, but as two you know individual things, I got quite a lot of enjoyment from that. I think what I said at the start of the show, where, where I wish the game would spoil itself, is that what I meant by that is I wish the game would just tell us, you know, you're the killer. Very much like the start of um, Fahrenheit Indigo Prophecy, where you're trying to cover up the body, you know, you're cleaning the floor and all this. I would have loved it if I was, you know, hearing his thoughts properly, going, you know, well, if I do this, you know, they, they might not notice, or if I hide this, or whatever. That would have been a little bit, I think it would have invested me a lot more, because I would have been, right, I'm the killer now. I need to act like that. I need to, what would the killer do to get out of this situation? Not this rubbish, oh, Maybe if we do this, we'll find out who the killer is. You know, when you blatantly know it's you, it didn't make any sense. I think playing as the bad guy would have been much better. Knowing that all these big plot holes, I could have, I'd have been more surprised if it had pulled a proper twist. But the twist was so poor in itself that it just served to underline how how bad a decision it was to make Shelby the killer. So I don't know. Did did you guys were you guys able to predict that it was him fairly early on? Not at all, because it didn't make any sense that it was him. (laughs) Well, that's kind of where I was coming from. It, it was, it, 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 it just. Why was he involved in the thing in the first place? We were never told who he was investigating the the case for. That's kind of what always made me a bit suspicious, and uh, just the fact that we we knew it was a guy as well very early on. That ruled out. That ruled out Jaden pretty quick. Pretty quickly because why the hell is he so bent up about the, the thing and and Madison because she's not a man so. Uh, and it wasn't even because it was so obviously they were so obviously trying to make you think it was even. I was so it was going to be Madison actually. Wouldn't I think they they thought it was a male early on, but I was hoping that they were wrong about that because she, she seemed pretty suspicious early on. They were wrong about the age. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things. Well, I've, I've, I mean, I've got a, a, a theory in that um, 
may be in the early drafts or the early design of this game that all four of them were the killers. And depending on how you played it, it would be a different person that ended up being the, the killer. That is really interesting because this is, this is, again, Joe in spirit, if he was here, this is what he said. He, he thought it would be really interesting if you made certain early decisions on you know, that, those, two, that, those scenes that happened two years before the main plot arc. Did the small decisions you make there affect who's the killer at the end of the game? I think that would have been brilliant. That would have made me want to play four times, uh, many, many times, if, if there were many different killers. But uh, what, do, you, do you think they, they, that was something they could have done? You made it work? I do, well, I do. I think that's, well, you know, like I said, uh, it's a theory, man. I think that's what they were, they were pitching for because they're deliberately ambiguous with. Um, all of the characters early on, obviously the, Ethan keeps standing in the middle of the rain for no apparent reason, and Madison, they're very secretive about what her background is or her motivations are, and they imply that she's a bit crazy as well. Um, obviously the, the the policeman is a is a drug, you know, he's a high on drugs all the time, and hmm. may well be creating the, the crime for himself, you know, there, there was... Okay, yeah. It just seemed to me, and also... Now I've finished it. If you look, if you look at a walkthrough, because um, I was interested to see what the other endings were, I didn't really want to play it again, but I thought I'm well, curious to see how they play out. If you look at the way this, the the, the the all the alternative endings are structured, they're very influenced around a pivotal point right in the middle, and, and most of the outcomes only actually determine right at the end of the game. Yeah. So it kind of looks like half of it is missing. If you see what I mean? And um, there's other clues as well, like the fact that a lot of the interactions that are in the first half of the game aren't in the second half. And the one that really leaped out for me was the thought bubbles. Um, for large parts of the game, you can hold down L2 and you'll get yeah. these hints. Um, when you reach that pivotal point, from that point onwards, there are no thought bubbles. There's no, there's no L2. I thought that was very odd. Uh, you know, that maybe some of these inconsistencies are through are due to the fact that the the game has been compromised in some way, maybe to get it out because it was just getting too big. I, I didn't really notice that, to be honest, myself, actually. I, I found the L2 fairly consistent to bring up thoughts throughout the game in most situations. It pretty much stops once you hook up with... once you sleep with Madison. As soon as after that... Uh, you see, I didn't. Uh, well, after that, there are no thought bubbles from any of the other characters. We will get back to that particular thing later because there's lots to talk about that. Um, I mean... Did, did, was there any merit in any part of the story for you guys whatsoever? Was there anything it did it did right, or was it just a total failure as a plot? The trials were cool in and of themselves. If you don't, you know, look at how they were structured or how they fit the overall plot, but there were some tense moments there. Um, I, I guess I liked Ethan being a fugitive. The the chase on the hotel was cool, and you know that part was fine. But yeah, that's about it. <clears throat> Yeah, the one where you have to shoot the guy, and he's like, "Look, I'm a I'm a father too." Yeah, that was that was quite cool. Yeah. I'm with you, Dits. To be honest, I find the Ethan arc not that not that offensive overall. Actually, even though his blackouts were kind of shuffled to one side. I'm, I'm waiting for the DLC when you're playing a Shelby, like sneaking in the background with a blow dart. Quickly, got to put some origami in his hand. <laughs> Um, I mean, for me, my particular highlight was actually what Sam says was was a disaster, which was losing your your son early on. Um, my only problem with that with that scene was uh, 
the decision to not record many different ways of Ethan saying Jason. Because I was quite gripped at that scene. I was thinking, oh shit, I, I know he's going to die because I'm not stupid. This is going to be how he, this game goes out. But I don't want him to. Can I stop it? So I'm, I'm going around pressing X frantically. And all I'm hearing is the same recording of Jason. Uh, into, split by another one recording of Jason. So it's like, Jason, 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 Jason. It was really just, it took me straight out, which was a shame because apart from that, I thought, um, I, I realise what you're saying, Xander, that it was kind of a bit contrived. But at the same time, like, you kind of, there was there was a, an appreciable suddenness about it. Like, just suddenly, shit, he's gone, shit, he's dead. These are how things, you know, accidents like this can happen. This is how tragic things like this do happen. You just, you don't have control over it, which I think was what the game was trying to encourage. You know, like, you search every pocket, and there's just no way you can find the right pocket. That's just how life is sometimes. You just, things go against you. I thought it, it conveyed that really well. Not, yeah, I see what you're looking for is, is well done, like chasing the balloon. That was a cool shot. Yeah, I thought that was a nice shot. I thought it was quite clever when you saw the balloon in the railway station when you're having your panic attack. Oh, that was quite good. But um, I think the thing for me that I enjoyed was they'd never really followed through on was the interplay between Jaden and the other, the kind of bent copper. Um, I'd, I'd, I was hoping they would take that further because that was the one sort of... Uh relationship sorry, really <laughs> sorry they do at the end in a certain um, Jaden ending yeah yeah but the it, it just didn't seem to sort of I don't know peter out I suppose but early on I quite liked that the fact that you had the you could decide whether you were going to be a good cop bad cop but then I soon discovered that again if you put the control on the floor it made the decision for you anyway um, but yeah it's, I, I quite enjoyed that um, the actual trials were the thing I liked the least, actually. Um, I found this, them. This is the, the 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 kind of the the, the gore aspect of it, especially the well, violence it, aspects. Yeah, again, a few people when I've mentioned this have pulled me up and said, "Oh, is it the violence?" And I think, "Not, not really. I don't really have a problem with that." Okay. Um, it's it's the it's just the way it's done. It's just the way it's used. It's such a cheesy, cheap, nasty way of doing it, and and. Um, someone said to me that they didn't feel the game was dark enough, and I quite agree. If the game had been very dark in tone, I'd have enjoyed it a lot more. It's not dark, it's nasty, and there's a big difference. There's, it's like the difference between um, Saw and... Uh, I'm trying to think of a... Well, the, the example I use now is a film that not many people have seen, a film called Don't Look Now, which is one of the most terrifying, disturbing films you'll ever see. Um, yet there's virtually well, there's zero gore in it at all, um, or, or zero nastiness. It's just sinister and foreboding and thought-provoking. And that's if it was if it was dark in that way, then I would I would enjoy it a lot more. But the the angle he goes for is like I said, the cheap sideshow tricks and the cheap sideshow gags. You know, cutting off a finger or walking across or crawling across glass or getting electrocuted. You know, these are all you know torture porn has been with us now for 10 years these are things that have been around for a while and they weren't clever 10 years ago and they're not clever now the thing what why it worked in saw is that they're in a confined space you know they're trying to escape from something it it adds to that sense of dread where these i don't know it, it, there were, didn't seem much of a all right he's trying to save his kid but there wasn't much of a weight of why am i doing this you know there's it didn't it didn't have much reasonings to it i don't know well there's, there's another thing as well and I think it, it, it is that uncanny valley thing. When he has to self-mutilate himself, I just, I 
not bought that scene. Just a presentation. There were certain things in in the, the background, certain animations. I just I wasn't quite convinced. Well, I, I, I just I knew I was playing something that's fake. Whereas you know, saying in Saw, I'm I, I'm way into that. I'm cringing behind the sofa, thinking, "What the hell are you doing, man?" Um, whereas in, in that scene, I just couldn't care. I'm, he's going to mutilate his finger, and I'll move on to the next bit because uh, that will get me the piece of information I need. Um, I don't know. Do you think that's actually a, a, a basic problem that video video games are going to have to 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 deal with? That you have to somehow make the characters care about decision, which ultimately isn't going to change things either way, really, because you know you turn off the cons- the, con- the, the machine and uh, who cares if he has his finger chopped off? Yeah, you're right. There. I mean, like if maybe if with the one missing digit, then I don't know. It made dark quick time events harder or something like that. There was no. <laughs> you see, I mean, there's no. Yeah. There's no pain. There's no sorry. I can't think of the word now. There's no penalty for doing these things. You know, everything just still carries on. And yeah, it is just a virtual character who you have had very little time to you know, come accustomed to. I'm guessing it'd be quite different if it was maybe Nathan Drake or Mario. <laughs> you know, would you do that to Mario? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Actually, would, would you would you trouble off Drake's finger? I mean, I, I, there is something a bit in, interesting about. I don't know. Just. Yeah, that, that's, that's it. Drake's a big cool. boy. He could handle it. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably chopped off half his fingers already. We just don't see it. Okay, so story story is a, a big problem. And uh, one of the, the major concerns, to something Anthony Birch wrote, uh, wrote about, was uh, how it handled agency, like we're talking about control. And uh, he wrote an article saying that video games prove Roger Ebert right. Uh, relating to that Roger Ebert quote that video games by their nature require player choices which is the opposite of the strategy of serious film and literature which requires authorial control so what he's saying is if you give a player control you're going to give them the chance to tell a bad story and this is something I experienced with something Anthony talked about with the uh, the Madison Kiss scene I don't know if anyone else here had any problems with that scene in particular did you guys have any sort of conflict of interest when you were playing that uh, that scene and thinking, should I kiss or should I not? I, I think I did it because I just want to see all the content in the game. Like, I'm just like, well, if I... It, it was a problem I had when I played Mass Effect the second time as a jerk. If you don't um, acknowledge any of the romantic elements, they just go away. And, and you don't get anything different, you just get less. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see what happens here. By that point, I wasn't taking the game that seriously anyway, so. <laughs> I didn't have much conflict with it. I just went with it. <laughs> Why? Um, I guess I just wanted to see what happened next. That was it, really. I guess it's a bit of a voyeurism thing. <laughs> Fair enough. So you both, <laughs> both of you didn't, didn't put any weight of importance on the decision, didn't think that it, it really mattered if she kissed, it, kissed him or not? No. I forget, at this point, were you playing as Madison or... Ethan, I remember well, this is a really movie. interesting thing. This is what I wrote about. You play as you play as Madison in, in that scene. Um, okay, because I think I, I thought I was playing as Ethan. I'm like, should I kiss a hot girl or not? <laughs> <laughs> so. You see, my, my, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll get Xander's one in a second. But my my thing was that because um, I was playing as Madison, there was no way I would do that to a guy who was going through what Ethan was going. But it, I, 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 was, you know, I was really trying very hard to think as how the characters would at this stage of all their choices. Um, so I said no. But at the same time, I quite I knew that you know, frankly, the the win situation is going to be if you kiss him and if you end up being together at the end of the game because it was obvious that all of that weight was on this decision. It was just really, really transparent. And the other thing is that if I was playing as Ethan, 
I would have kissed her just because I would have, I think Ethan would have been out completely out of sorts at that stage and he wouldn't be making smart decisions and he would look for the comfort of something, you know, like a, a distraction like Madison because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I was, you know, I was really, really trying very hard to think of how these characters would think. But the whole thing was just a big conflict of interest to me. Like, it, like, am I playing to win this game or am I playing to play as my characters? Did, did you get any of that, Sam, at all? Um, you know, I kind of was halfway. I, I mean, I must admit, I did kind of mull over it for a second, um, mainly to see whether it was going to decide for me, I suppose. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I just went with it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. That's That's what... You know, he's presented this situation to me, and uh, if I had any sort of decision over it, I wouldn't have got as far as this. Because the the point at which you decide is is almost right at the very last moment, isn't it? It's not. Mm. It's not as if you decide when you walk in the room. It's you, you have to decide right at the last minute. And by that point, point, it's like, well, yeah, it's obvious what's going to happen here, so I'll just press the button. It's a good point because I mean, if I, if I had full control of, of Madison, she wouldn't have even made a move. No, I mean, uh, if you think of the way that say, I mean, it's. I don't want to compare this to a Bioware game, but you, you can't help it because it's it's in all of our recent memories. But if you look at the way that it's done in Mass Effect, it's done as a... Again, it's, even in that, it's contrived, but it's done as a series of questions. You have to actually go out your way to make it happen, the romance plots. you know, And, and you're given plenty of opportunities to mess up and plenty of opportunities to back away as well. Whereas in this, you're just given one right at the last moment, which... Again, like all the other things, in it it's just a, 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 a cheap, a cheap way of doing it. I think. I would agree. I, I think uh, the way I was playing Madison, or at least trying to play her, that, that it, she wouldn't have got into that situation, and uh, there was no way to prevent it. This is this. I, I guess this is getting really into the heart of what Anthony was talking about. He 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 also talked about Shelby, which we've, we've discussed before, and how, like Jeff was saying, he looks after the. The, the mum who's about to commit suicide and the baby, and yet he goes kill children, uh, kills children. And, you know, you could argue that if you want, you can play Shelby as a dick, but why would you know to play him as a dick? Um, why would you know to play him as a killer? Because it's not told to you. So, like Anthony's saying, like Roger Ebert's saying, you're playing, you're telling a bad story without even, without even knowing you're doing it, which I think is a, a real shame because... Um, I think having these crucial choices is not something gaming should be afraid of, but all Heavy Rain seems to prove is that it's very tough to do it, right? I wonder if it's the, the multi-character approach that makes that such a problem, because, you know, again, I'm thinking about Shirley's Not Dead, and like, I feel like that game, uh, and Silent Hill for that matter, both do that very well, where you m- make choices, but it doesn't... It seems like whatever choice you make, it tells an equally good story either way. It doesn't seem like you're breaking the story, and uh, maybe this goes back to the whole uncanny valley of the video game um, that Michael called Heavy Rain. But yeah, there's just so many choices that that um, don't that are incongruous to what David Cage is trying to tell. This is something again I, I wrote about. I'll link to my my post, my blog, but I, I specifically mentioned playing as multiple characters is a big fundamental problem with the game. Um, I think for this is Edge mentioned it for the first half of the game all the characters are kind of kept from each other. They're on fairly separate paths. And then about halfway, they all kind of come together. Like, uh, uh, Ethan gets arrested. Madison starts making her moves on Ethan, things like that. And I, I had this huge conflict of interest when you're playing as Jaden about to free Ethan in the police station. If, if it was my Jaden, (laughs) 
No way would he risk his job in that way. Like, what What are you thinking? If You're going to get yourself fired. You can't even be certain that this guy is telling the truth. There's no, there's no evidence, really, that he is. It was just... I was there thinking, I can't avoid it. You're making me do this, but... It doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible story. Um, but if, you, if you're looking at it a very directorial way, if you're looking at it, what, what ending do I want? Then yeah, you free him. Of course you do. You want to save the kid. You know the kid's... The, the, he's not the killer. You know that, that this is the only way you're going to save the kid. So you, you, you free him. But even... Sorry, Jaden doesn't know that. Jaden has no, no way of knowing that. So I also love how uh, Madison has a chance to call Jaden near the end of the game, even though they've never met. Yeah, that was a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's just the illusion of choice again, isn't it? There is a story there which will play out whatever happens, and you can do things in the middle, but it doesn't change anything else, does it? It's and that's why it, I guess in a way that's why the, the the story will always play out, and it will always be what David Cage wants us to see. But it, there wasn't anything else, was there? I, I, we couldn't leave Ethan in the police station, could we? Well, no. That's the thing, because if you. you you've been Ethan and you know that he, it's important for him to save the kid. Um, if, I, and this is the whole thing. If you weren't playing as Jaden, Madison and, and Shelby, then I think frankly, half the problem with the plot would not be there. You could just have those cut scenes and you wouldn't know what's going on in, in Shelby's head. You wouldn't know what's going on in Madison's head, what's going on in Jaden's head. Uh, I think as well, you'd have much more attachment for Ethan as a character. Cause you'd been with him through the entire story. I agree. Strange decision. Um, it sounds like you guys were all kind of, at least at that stage, you know, halfway through the game, towards the end, not really playing with anything except the, the mentality to, to win, to kind of get the best ending. Is that is that fair? Yeah. I, just, yeah. I was just desperate to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd had enough by then. Oh, <laughs> I just thought, just get this over with. Oh, dear. It's funny, I, was, I, was, I mean, the, the girlfriend played through it today, and... Um, she just said to me, like, you know, there's, there, there's only been a one other game which has I've just wanted to see the end, just wanted to get to the end because I can't be bothered to play anymore. And she likened it to Fable 2 because the story in that and uh, the whole thing just wasn't that great yeah, for us anyway. But it, it is one of them things where you're just like, right, I've started, I've got to just finish it now. Cause, and there was nothing else really dragging us to the end. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, I was still intrigued at, at how it all play out in the end and if I could if I could somehow get a good ending while still trying to pursue this aim of playing right as every character, but I, in the end, I couldn't uh, think there was a. Com- I can't remember what specific choice I made, but it meant someone, someone didn't make it. <laughs> so <laughs> there was one point where I got very annoyed with the game, and that's where um, Norman Jaden. Um, I didn't get one piece of evidence, and I think it's the only puzzle in the game. And I didn't get one piece of evidence, and I wanted him to survive because I'd. I didn't like him at the start. I thought he was a bit of a... It's just a rubbish character and he was a bit arrogant and all this. And I wanted to change that. And I, I realised that I could come out with things and, and make him more how I wanted. I thought that was quite cool. And then I'd done all these things. I thought I'd played it absolutely correct. And there's a receipt or something I needed to get. And right. I didn't get that. And the only outcome I could get, which was, was of no fault really to my own, I'd done everything. It never really telegraphed that this was what I needed to do. It was just a very small, insignificant thing, it seemed like. And he would always end up dying. So I just went, right, well, I'm going back and I'm fixing that. So. I, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. There was a, a, a point where my, I think in, it's Madison where she's trying to escape the fire. Mm-hmm. She died, but I 
was quick enough to switch off my PS3 and load it up again, <laughs> and and she survived the second time round. Which uh, I don't, I don't like to see some bravery with with saving and saying, you know what, if you if your character dies, the game saves straight away, and if you switch off your PS3, guess what, you're going to corrupt the save. But it, it didn't happen every time, um, so that that was a bit of a criticism for me. Talk, talking talking of Madison, just very quickly, what did you guys think of her as a character? I didn't buy her. I mean, they, they ex- for the whole first two-thirds of the game, you have no idea who she is. She's just some random person who keeps taking care of and undressing and healing her random neighbor who just seems like a really scuzzy guy <laughs> and, and, you know, out of context. Um, and then later they do explain that a bit with her being a reporter, so I kind of got that. But still, like, that the whole them hooking up just never made any sense to me. At all. She has insomnia, so she goes and sleeps in motels. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's naked half, well, not half the time. Well, it, she is a pretty much a, a sexual object for the for the, for the the whole game, I, I found her to be. Not because I was attracted to the way the game was playing, was presenting her. This is something Dennis Farr wrote about at the, at, at the Borderhouse, so how basically every scene she's in, her her being a woman it's really emphasized like you know the shower scene versus Ethan's did you guys have any kind of the problem there because uh, I, I certainly did like Ethan's is very much it's just a very normal sort of angles and and, and no real sort of focus and you know scooting up the body or anything like that with with Madison you're getting a kind of pornography scene where you're scooting up everything looking at all her curves and uh, it was just uh, tacky and not what I was expecting from a game which is trying to present itself as being mature. I thought it was consistent with the in terms of the rest of the game because the, <laughs> you know the, a lot of the like I said you know the, the the lot of the things that are in it are done for shock value. You know it's like it's like a a cheesy popcorn movie pitched at sixteen to eighteen year olds. You know that's 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 what it's going for. And in that respect, she she perfectly fitted into that. You know that that that, that genre really. But uh, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I did, did the whole shower thing as well, and just thought it was. Uh, I expected it because I played Fahrenheit, so I knew what to expect there. Right. It did exactly the same in Fahrenheit. So really, okay. In fact, more so. But uh, I, I even had even bigger problems with all her later scenes in the game, like the the fact that she, uh, she goes to the club and she the only way to to progress the game is she has to strip for the guy. She's reduced to having to use her feminine wiles, or, or the fact when she gets captured by that guy, he's. There's, there's, you know, the possibility of sexual assault. It's like all she was for the whole game was a woman in dangerous situations, which was pathetic. I, I, like, I've, I was I, really quite offended by that. Actually, I thought it was, it was terrible writing and terrible characterization. And I actually thought it'd been much more interesting. Yes, okay, the motel stuff is, is ridiculous, but I thought the whole paranoid arc uh, in paranoid something was an interesting thing to explore, which they never did. I, I just never understood what she was even doing in the game. Like the whole plot could have. I guess there's one part where she's important, like near the end, where she encounters the killer, and then she has to she has to call someone because she knows the location of the kid. Except I think by that point, um, in my playthrough, at least Ethan already had the, the correct location. I think Jaden did as well. So, yeah, yeah, they they could have cut her, and not lost very much at all. Hmm. I mean, you could probably argue that she was there for the. She was there to help Ethan, wasn't she? Really, you know, nursing his wounds. Uh, when he's getting burnt, fixing him up and all this, and being there for him. Or she was like more a the, wife the, to a husband. 
Yeah, yeah I was going to say, whatever happened to what happened his to? ex-wife? <laughs> she yeah. just disappears a third of the way in. I'm like, shouldn't she be involved in the plot in some way? Like, maybe working with the police and trying to get him to come in or whatever? It's, it's factored in some way. And she doesn't. Like most things in the first half of the game, they just disappear. There was also this strange implication at the end of the game that Ethan had got custody of his child. I, I, thought I, I, couldn't help, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help thinking, <laughs> wasn't he the one who lost his original child? How, and isn't it kind of hard for, for dads to get custody anyway without kind of being the cause of their original child's death? Um, I mean, I could buy the maybe that was on a weekend and just he had the kid for that day, but how did he get all the money for this nicer apartment now? Like... <laughs> You know, like he saved his son and now he wins the lottery. What would happen? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I feel like we kind of we kind of covered most bases. One one kind of question I, I wanted to get to before we go into our, into our last question is talking about what you know how you how you mix player control with a, a good story. Do you think what what would you if you were there at the at the drawing board when this game was being designed? How would you have tried to to let the player have control while still telling a meaningful story? What 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 fundamental choices would you would you change to Heavy Rain to make it tell a better story? One of the things we mentioned is obviously multiple characters. We we kind of all agree that was a bad bad decision. What what else do you think really on a fundamental level you could change about this game? I wouldn't have had it as directed as it is because I think the fundamental flaw with it. And, and the fundamental flaw with any games like this is that they're trying to emulate what's done in the cinema. And uh, I think that's the wrong inspiration. It's the wrong model to follow. Um, for me, uh, I think it would have worked better had it been uh, a maybe... I mean, I, mean I, the, I know the current trend is for everything to be open world, but for the city to be... A, to have the whole city available for you to explore, maybe... Um, and for you to then piece together the, the the evidence that way, rather than having these constantly scripted scenes one after the other, right. um, where actually your actions then start to make the story, if you like. I know that sort of thing was attempted in, in GTA 4 uh, moderately successfully, but I think really to genuine interactive drama if we want to call it that, is one where you create the story, I think. There may be certain points you have to reach, but ultimately you, the actions that you perform uh, may be different every time, and so therefore your story will be different simply through what you've done, rather than this, the method that was used in Heavy Rain, where it's basically contrivance and key events which then dictate the way that the, the, the film or the cinema is then played out. I mean, most of the, the, the branching paths actually occur because of either you didn't pick something up or somebody dies. Um, there isn't actually a great deal that you do that makes a huge amount of difference. Um, you know, again, I'd say just plays Ethan would be the starting point. And uh, unlike Zen, I, I wasn't entirely against the idea of the action continuing without any player input. Uh, in my Challenging Conventions article, I, I likened it to one of my favorite scenes in Mass Effect, where you're interrogating a prisoner, and the whole thing is done via a cutscene. You can have these little triggers that come up during the cutscene if you want to um, start harassing the, the guy you're interrogating, or if you want to hold off, and you kind of have to subtly tell when you're being too hard and when you're not being too hard, and to get the right information out of him the, the time you have allotted. So... On one hand, I think that they could have made the game even more directed 
and just given you prompts at key moments as the thing plays out. And if you hesitate for too long, then you've made a mistake, just like in real life. You can't think of the right thing to say at the right time, then then you're screwed and you think about it later and feel regret, and et cetera, et cetera. Or the other way would be, as I was saying, make it uh, more what I, what I want in Shenmue to be, more of just an open-world mystery where you have to go around and gather clues, maybe even have the whole thing on, on a very specific time limit of, uh, I don't know, was it 72 hours game time? So make it, you know, give you 12 hours to, to solve the mystery. And if you don't, you don't find it again the killer and your son's dead and that's it. And they have a few different outcomes from there. So there's, there's quite a few different ways I think they could approach this whole topic. That's a great call. Imagine if it was like a combination of, of like a, a open world and Dead Rising, you know, where, where you could in theory play through it several times and have different outcomes because of that. That would that would be that would be really cool actually doing it that way. So I, well, I don't know what I'd change really. I mean, I would probably raise the certificate to eighteen and then try and get get the actual story a lot more mature, a lot more more twisted, I guess, more more like a proper thriller. But I don't know. Maybe for me, because it is—it's essentially like a six to eight hour movie, isn't it? If you're yeah. going to sit it through in one sitting, maybe I would have delivered it completely different, and we would have been, "Oh, this is this is actually quite good." Maybe like give us the first couple of chapters and just playing as Ethan, and then your choices you've made there, much like the Mass Effect Two save sort of idea. Whatever you've done, the next pack you then get alters the story there. And then it keeps changing and changing. I think, you know, like the, this you know, next time on Lost or whatever, you know, you're always wanting to get for more. So I think maybe if they split up Heavy Rain a little bit and then made it much more the, the, the ideas and things you did in the first chapter had consequence in the next, would have kept people going for ages. They could have strung this game on for like a year for us all trying to find out who the killer is and probably would have given them more time to sort out the actual writing and the acting and all sorts. I can tell you exactly why they wouldn't do something like that. And it's because, like we've said many times in the show, that reduces the amount of content players are going to see to the amount, compared to the amount of content there is in a game. And that's not a, a, something publishers or developers are very keen on at all because they're putting a lot of money into stuff that you're not necessarily going to see. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's just not going to... Not going to happen So there's a fundamental shift in, in, in game design. Because you can imagine, if you, say there was just two different... Uh, possibilities with each ending. Then you're creating two different games to the next pack. Then you're creating four the next pack. Eight, sixteen, thirty-two. It gets it gets into crazy territory. Um, that's that's the whole anyone, thing. Has anyone played Way of the Samurai? Because I I haven't, but I've heard it. It kind of does that whole thing where it's a very short length with just a huge amount of variation. Well, I think you know that that's. Maybe a possible thing I would say again. Maybe go go for a more stylistic, uh, a visual presentation approach. Don't put all your money into creating this incredibly, uh, allegedly immersive world, and so that you have the money to to spend on creating lots of different content for players to explore. So they genuinely have different branching paths to go down, um, like Ditz is saying. Uh, and again, I just don't. It's not going to happen, but I think that would have been that would have been an interesting thing. What what, what do you guys think about the idea of? Because um, there was this kind of this whole idea of butterfly effect. Uh, you know, the small things you do will make big big changes later. What would you guys think about small things that you did throughout the course of the game, presenting completely different stories, not necessarily ones that made a bunch of sense in a cause and effect kind of way, but just you 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 do something small and it and it just 
so happens to lead the story down a completely different path. So that even if it doesn't quite 100% make sense, you're getting, you know, really different stories. I mean, again, it's 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 not going to happen because of, of, of because of what we said, of, of budget. But I feel like there's, I don't know, how, how do you get around the problem of, of a player oh. having control over a story? And I like that idea. I just, I don't think it, it's going to happen. I mean, no. like, <laughs> with Infamous, I, I really wanted there to be two very different storylines, one where you save the, the city and the other where you... Um, take it over, but it doesn't do that. You just save the city either way. You can just be a jerk or not be a jerk. And I understand there's just technical limitations beyond that, but I would like to see some developer actually attempt you know, something like that. Fair enough. I, I feel like maybe there isn't, there really isn't a, a, a right answer to that question, is there? Honestly, at this stage, we don't, there isn't an, an answer to how do, you, how do you prove Roger Ebert wrong? Do you think there is an answer? Has a, has a game successfully shown that you can have control over a story and it can still be a good story? Um, again, I think it's the third time I've mentioned the podcast, but Chivalry is Not Dead is probably the best example. <laughs> See, no, we should play that game. <laughs> Anything a bit more mainstream? Mass Effect 2? Um, uh, Bioware RPGs, I mean, they, they do a good job of it, don't they? You can have, but it's more side quests and everything, is it, and character development. It's not really changing the fundamental core of the game. I say the final mission of Mass Effect 2. Most Mass Effect 2s, you know, going to be largely the same. You'll either play all the missions, or you'll only play some of them. You can make different choices, but they they don't affect it that much overall. But that final mission is a real na- nail biter, especially because it, it auto saves as you go, and there's, to my knowledge, no real place you can just save in the middle. So you have to do the whole final hour again if you mess up, which isn't that huge a penalty, but still something you don't want to do. So. Um, I think that it's something like that did a good job of making your choices really, really important to making the player, you know, very much on the edge of the seat. Hasn't uh, I mean, Dits will know better than me on this one, but hasn't hasn't, uh, haven't some of the MMOs kind of tried to have stories that have basically evolved out of cloud decisions, sort of? um, Where I think it was an Eve Online had something like that, didn't it? Where it had an underlying story that was evolving based on what people did in the world. It's kind of not what pace. Well, basically, what it is with Eve, it's the whole game is run by the community pretty much. Story is written, and lore is written by the community. So they might say, "Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to have a emperor flying through space or something, and there's going to have an escort here." And the players can come in, and they have done, and just destroy the whole convoy and then run off. Yeah, it, that is, it's the game itself is just run by people, which is where the story isn't planned at all. It just things happen. <laughs> See, to that, that to me seems to define interactive um, you know, drama because that's evolving and changing as people play the game and, 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 and uh, make decisions on the fly. I think there is something, there's something, definitely something in that because especially the EVE community, they're so dedicated to that game, so about playing it the right way uh, and putting you know, this, this full sort of role play into it which you just don't get in any kind of other MMO or at least not unless you go on a role play server and even then if you're lucky I think there is something in that if the, if the player is fully engaged to telling a true story a story that makes sense if you just give them the complete total free platform to do so with a bunch of other players there is something in that because a, a good story surely naturally evolves out of that one that makes sense at least anyway yeah it's, it's a story which isn't written and predefined it's a story we've made ourselves I mean, I played E for about four years, and you know, we used to control different sectors of space, 
and we'd have battles with different clans and we'd know who the leaders are it's you know it's all your own making your own little soap opera basically in the world oh he stole this from me right we're going to go kill him yeah we'll put a bounty on that one and then you get your mates together and go do what you got to do how do you translate that into into a game like heavy rain how do you how do you get let go of all those reins as a director i don't think it's possible (laughs) i don't know well you that's kind of the difference between living life and you know reading a book i mean granted one's in a game, but it's still just events that happen in real time versus, you know, a tale. Does that, does that make sense? All right, it does. What were you going to say, Sam? I'll say you could have a persistent world where periodically there are crimes to solve and people can go about solving them in different ways. And maybe the, com- the community dream up the crimes. I mean, it's, it's a similar concept, but I mean, it's effectively what this is. This is a, this is a crime thriller, isn't it? So... Um, and um, Eve Online is a space opera. I mean, the, the the basic construct is the same. It's just the way in which you actually go about telling the story. I'm going to have to bring Peter Molyneux into this. But um, I remember he, you know, when Fable 2 was demoed, and apparently Fable 3 were going to be able to do this now, but it was the, the idea of you could get married to a character or have your own house and all this, and somebody could come in and destroy it that aspect that really intrigued me at the time but it never did that never appeared did it no who, who was it who said fable 2 story was terrible because I, I want to agree with them that was me. Uh, yeah <laughs> i just never got into any of it and i found that i have i had way too much power to change that world you know it was like if i want everyone to like me guess what i can make everyone like me really really easily um which is not like real life, let me tell you. So um, on that note, let's get into uh, very quickly, because it's, it's, we've been going way too long, our, um, our final few questions. Two questions then. First one, do you think as a community, as ourselves or individual selves, do you think we had realistic expectations for Heavy Rain or was it always going to, to fail to deliver on these kind of these lofty heights that we've set for it? Cool, that's tricky, isn't it? Um... I suppose because I'd tried to avoid some of the previews, I probably wasn't caught up in as much of the hype. But obviously you can't escape the fact that there were a lot of people who were who were seeing this as the uh, uh, yet another reason to shift PS3s. You know, there's you know, this is this thing with that platform that everyone's looking for a game that's going to sell units, even though it's selling quite well now anyway. Um, yes, yeah, I, I think it was... I think that's the problem with, um, in particular with this game, something I noticed is that um, when people started being critical of it, there were a lot of people being very, very defensive um, over it and quite sometimes quite offended by it, the fact that you didn't have the same experience that they did. And I think that's probably probably a symptom of some of that hype that was there before, that there's an expectation that you should really love this game, and if you don't get it, then there must be something wrong with you. Um, so, yeah, I, I, in many ways, I do think it was doomed to failure. But and and also, I, I, I'm stupid because I played Fahrenheit and that was flawed and stupid and daft. And I quite like Fahrenheit for some reason, but I didn't like Heavy Rain. So it just shows he he can't do the same thing twice. Well, I had I was a bit more skeptical going in. I my expectations were I, I thought the story was going to be pretty bad, but I was still hoping for the best. And it ended up being quite a bit worse than I even thought it was going to be. But I was really excited by the whole uh, design element of it, about having different choices and telling the story in a different way. And I think that my, my expectations for that were, 
were fairly realistic. I mean, I, I've played other games that give you more choice than Heavy Rain. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think that my expectations were especially dooming Heavy Rain to failure. I guess I'm still a sucker for hype. <laughs> I, I don't know, when I saw, saw the whole thing, yeah, you can choose and do what you want, and you know, this whole o- open story and all this, I believed it, and I always do. I always fall for the, you know, for the media spiel, and you know, always think that we're going to get the next best thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you get let down many, many times, but that's the way it is. But I don't know. I think it's the the idea, the actual core idea of it, you know, what he's trying to deliver, is still a good idea. You know, it's it's something which we will attain one day, but maybe just not like this. I see. I'm I'm closer to Dits than than the other two guys. I. I... I did get a bit sucked into the hype. I know, I wasn't expecting the next best thing. I was expecting something that might do something particularly interesting, which may be something that will be replicated in the future games. And I just don't think I can't see what Heavy Rain's done. That's that's that brand new innovative. I, I, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed by it, as I've said on the show. On that note, last question: How do you think? We, as an industry, as a community, we're going to look back on Heavy Rain in, in the long run. I mean, for all its flaws or whatever, was it something that's going to work against it, gaming as a medium? Is it is it that important, or is it just something you know something that's going to prove to be fairly insignificant? Is it a step in the right direction? Basically, what what does Heavy Rain now mean to you? What do you think it means to gaming in the in the long run? Um, let's go to Jeff first. Um, I think it's going to be not. I think it's going to be a cult classic. I mean, the same way Fahrenheit was. It's very divisive. I know a lot of people love Fahrenheit. Some people hate it. You know, it pops up here and there in conversation, but it's not an industry changer by any means. Yes. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change anything, the way we play games, the way we perceive games, the way... It's it's not going to change any of that. I mean, it was a fun experience. I'm happy I played it. Um, I now know it's worth about £25 if I trade it in, so I'm happy with that. I don't think it's going to... It's not changing anything. I mean, but then again, I mean, boil it down. I mean, the tech behind it is superb. I mean, the sense of atmosphere, the graphics, all of that were you know, they're, they're first rate. They're some of the best I've seen on, on any system. And maybe with, with better writing, it, just, it could have been so much more. And Zam? Um, I think it will just be known as a curiosity. Um, Probably much like Fahrenheit. Well, probably as much what Jeff said. I think it will be a uh, a cult classic. Um, there'll be it'll be an interesting one to look at in maybe um, one or two years' time and, and see what you know people think about it then and what their memories of it were as well. Because I, I think a lot of it was largely forgettable, certainly from my point of view. Uh, yeah, there's as many people saying that they found it emotionally engaging and and um, you know uh, it's affected them in in quite profound ways so it'd be interesting to see what they think of it in a couple of years time but i think ultimately it's it, it stands out for being so different and i think that's really what it'll be remembered for so i guess that leaves me to to disclose my own sort of feelings that question um i think as we've we've we said on the show plenty of people found it to be a very very good game so i don't think you know a lot of people look back at it and say it was a good game maybe one of the best games this year for some people. I can hear Eddie screaming watershed moment for gaming. So, you know, he, w- he would look at it that way. So, and maybe that's how the industry will look at it as a whole. I think for me, it's um, 
It's not a great step in the right direction. It's a pretty shaky one, but it is still a step in the right direction. It's still gaming attempting to deliver a grounded story in a contemporary setting, doing something which is just a bit different, like Zan was saying, trying at least to be a bit different. Um, And it had, you know, okay, maybe it's not the only game to try what it's so-called interactive drama, but it was so ambitious and uh, and again it's on PlayStation 3 and this is a not PC this is a mainstream console this is in the limelight Fahrenheit just really wasn't in the limelight I think it will be I hope that it will it, it will at least inspire other developers to, to try to mirror and uh, build upon it and do something better you know that someone can, will just look at this and think I could have done this so much better that's what I really hope that we'll see but I don't think I don't know what's going to happen um uh, uh, but for me personally, I'm going to look at it as something that could have been a lot better and uh, failed to deliver on. On uh, maybe it wasn't that lofty expectation. Maybe it was fairly realistic, like Jeff's saying. Um, it didn't it didn't deliver on them for me. But <laughs> uh, it's got us talking for two hours, so it must have done something. That is it. I think that is a good place to close the show. So all that remains for me to do is to thank our three guests for slogging this out thank you so much to Dits, to Zan to Jeff, uh, I'll quickly get some plugs from each of them so uh, Zan who would you like to give a shout out to this week um, I'll, uh, I'll give a shout out to um, Strident from the Gamer Scene who helped me out with the recent um, replay podcast we do which is the one where we look back at the last two years and we were put in the unfortunate situation of both of us really disliking Half-Life 2 and trying to pretend to like it and defend it and play Devil's Advocate which uh, I've you've done an admirable job on this podcast <laughs> but I know how difficult that is so yeah give him a shout out and, uh, and also I tend to find that uh, he's one of the the great thinkers uh, on video games and often comes out with some very insightful comments um, and uh, I suppose the, in terms of plugs uh, obviously I'm from the Ninja Fat Pigeons we do do an occasional podcast it's getting increasingly more difficult to keep those up because people are off to university or ill or other reasons I also do one with Dits um, we do one for the gamer scene called Replay which is the one as we mentioned about which is basically where we replay games that are over two years old and I, I look forward to the day when I play Heavy Rain yet again. <laughs> wow. You're going to look back on this show and think, what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> you said that. Um, great. And I, I completely second the, the sentiments about Strident. He's a great guy. He's one of our biggest supporters uh, uh, of the show. He's been on the show before. And he's a, he's a, like you say, he's got a lot of stuff to say about video games. And it's a lot of the time it's worth listening to him. Um, so, Dits, how about yourself? Uh, we've already heard a bit of a plug for the gamer scene. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Um, yeah, we're a gamer scene. We're a gaming community, along with yourselves as well, on the, on the Unified Gamers Network. And yeah, we've got great, great forums, great communities. We've got our weekly show as well, which I do with my co-host Fly, uh, where we just chat about gaming news, what we've been playing, the usual. And yeah, <laughs> just say thank you for, for having us on here as well. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you. For, and and Dits came on at the last moment, by the way. Um, Eddie Eddie Insato was scheduled to come to the show. He's had something come up today, and Dits at the thirteenth hour uh, said that he would do it, and uh, he's been sterling. So thank you so much, Dits. No worries. 
And actually, on that note, I, we, something we never do on the show, and you do it every single show, just to make sure that we look terrible, is we never say thank you and hello to all our friends in the in the Unified Gamers Network. Because I just let the jingle go, because I'm completely <laughs> lazy, and assume that that's enough, uh, which is, is not. So uh, uh, a big shout-out to our friends in the Unified Gamers Network, to the, to the Gamer Scene, which Dits and Zan is part of, to Ninja Rat Pigeons, which Zan hosts, to Gamer Dork, uh, Leon and Neil over there, and Jay now, and final one is to Frugal Gaming whenever they do another podcast to, to Nori and Daz. Uh, great podcast which you should all check out. You can find them at this. Unifiedgamersnetwork.com Brilliant. <laughs> okay, uh, Jeff, how are you? Any, any shout-outs this week? Uh, sure, I'll give a shout-out to all you Brits for being here till what's about midnight at your time. It's only 3.39 here, so lucky there. Um, also to Steve Haskey, I started writing some uh, views that I guess, and he had the the unfortunate job of having to edit my Heavy Rain review, even though he absolutely loves the game himself. So <laughs> I'm sure it, it angered him very much to, you know, to have to, to do that. Um, otherwise, I've got a, a review that I've got a couple more reviews coming up soon at Games Abyss um, for Bioshock 2 and AVP. Otherwise, I recently reviewed Endless Ocean Blue World at g4tv.com. Um, so you can go there and check that out. And yeah. Just keep checking those sites. And, oh, of course, uh, GameReviews.com, where I'm a fortnightly, I think is the right term. Um, <laughs> Very good. Well done. <laughs> yes, uh, column challenging conventions that Sinan does a fantastic job of editing. And the most recent one was about Heavy Rain. So it might be a little overlap with what I said today. But if you want more of my thoughts, there you have it. Perfect. And uh, you can also find Jeff at his own blog at jumpingmustache.blogspot.com, as you probably well know, uh, dear listener. So, on to my own plugs. I'm just going to give a shout-out quite late now to the Digital Cowboys. We've had them on the show before. I've been on their show a few times, but they did a, a fantastic fundraiser for uh, the the Haiti appeal. Uh, and they just... how much did they raise, Do you guys remember how much money they raised? I think it was over a thousand, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about thirteen hundred, I think, something like that. Incredible! And they, what they did—they spent uh, thirty hours, I think it was, in total, playing on their three hundred and sixty, trying to get as high a game score as possible. Just unbelievable. <laughs> That's a lot of dedication to a to a charity appeal. So uh, I'm very impressed, and well done to them. You can find them at the digital cowboys.com, and I'm sure that if you want to donate any money to their cause, I'm pretty sure they'd, they'd probably they'd probably take it. So uh, you probably find out more about that at their site. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, twitter.com slash S-H-O-I-N-A-N. Joe is there as Slam, Vanderhuge. Uh, or email is bigredpotion at gmail.com. The site is bigredpotion.com. And that is it for today. Blah, lost my ability to speak. That is it for today. And we will see you in two weeks' time. Bye for now. Bye for now.